0: podcast is brought to you by
1: uh, 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 Here we go. Everybody be cool, this is a rubbery! I need you cool.
0: you cool. Are you cool? Are you cool? Are you gonna bark all day, little doggy, Or are you gonna bite? Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your
1: concentration? I'm a killer. I'm a murdering bastard, you know that? And there are consequences to breaking the heart of a murdering bastard. You really only need to hang mean bastards. Mean bastards, you need to hang. You hear me talking, Hillbilly Boy? I'm
0: gonna get medieval on your ass. you shut the this!
1: Nah, I don't think so. More like chewed out. I've been chewed out before.
0: Hey, is everybody okay? The fucking hippies aren't. That, that's for goddamn
1: sure. Kill white folks in their face,
0: it's not the life. Start and see pictures, ain't you? Gentlemen, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. Welcome back, all you inglorious bastards, to your monthly worship service where we help rejuvenate your soul through the good works of our Lord and Savior, Quentin Tarantino. I am the Reverend Scott Kane, and this is the Church of Tarantino podcast. As promised, we continue our month-long, blood-soaked look at Kill Bill with the second half of his fourth film, Kill Bill, Volume 2. But before we learn how to punch holes in wood and snatch people's eyes out of their sockets, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast for his second go-round, host of the Rocky Series podcast, the worst of the best podcast, and It's a Long Road, the Rambo Series podcast, Mr. Ryan Rebalkin. Welcome back, Mr. Rebalkin, and may Tarantino be with you always.
1: And you always. This is a real pleasure to be here, Scott. So thank you for inviting me back. I mean, I kind of feel... What happened to your other co-host? Uh, we don't have to drop names.
0: It feels very much like um, a Tarantino movie. Like, you know, you, uh, we had Mickey Rourke set up, and Mickey Rourke at the yeah. last second couldn't do it, and so we got Kurt Russell, and Kurt Russell's with us. So
1: oh, it wow. worked perfectly. You're making me a Kurt Russell <laughs> boy. Yeah, because I, I told you on our last episode, of course, that we did together that the Kill Bill films, in particular Part 2, is it's my favorite yes. Tarantino film.
0: So when my guest did drop out because of scheduling conflicts, right. you know, nothing like he was like fuck this. <laughs> so right. just we weren't able to do it and we're getting really tight cuz we're usually I have these recorded 2 months out. So we're recording yours technically a month from when it'll air, okay. but it's definitely against the wall. But the two people, you and Mr. Smith, both had said, "Well, man, my favorite movie is Kill Bill." And the minute he wasn't able to do it, the first two people I reached out to were him and you, and I reached out to you for volume 2 cuz we had just had our conversation <laughs> for Jackie Brown, saying that you love number 2 cause it's a very uh, much of a spaghetti Western. And so I was like, boom, I already know the two guys I'm gonna bring in and hopefully they say yes. (laughs) Otherwise I'm gonna be scrambling. So I'm glad that you both were able to free up your schedule for me and uh, be a part of this insane film. But I also feel uh, it's the film that really kicks Tarantino into that universe. We we talked about um Jackie Brown, the nineties were over. He did a lot of work in the nineties, stayed really heavy in the crime, but now from this movie on he stretches his legs into all the genres he loves. And I really feel he puts out solid movies based on every single one of them.
1: Agreed. Kill Bill One and Two were the films that made me love QT. That, I mean, I saw Pulp Fiction. I saw Reservoir Dog. I mean, all the films before, of course, Kill Bill. I saw all of his films, but I and I think I was really excited to hear that he was doing these type of films when I heard these were announced and what they were about. You know, Samurai, Revenge, all the, you know, whatever the buzz was at the time. I can't, I can't quite remember. I mean, if you could believe, these films came out 2003 and four. Was that insane?
0: It is. It's well, coming up 20 years next year oh. for one. And we recorded on what was the 18th uh, anniversary, the last time you and I recorded, right. for Kill Bill Volume 2. So a little synergy talking. there, a little ironic synergy that we were. We recorded, and here you are doing it. They still feel new to me.
1: I'm just getting old. They
0: do. No, I know. When you look back, you go, how is this possible that these films are thus far in the rearview mirror when they feel like it was just yesterday?
1: I was going to say they feel fresh and new and exciting, just like they did the day I saw them. I think I just fall in love with them more and more. And I saw, it, I watched it again for the recording of this podcast. i just like, man, I love this movie. I, I, <laughs> no. just, I just love it. So.
0: so let me ask you this question then. Sure. I know how you feel about it. I think you said something to Craig Cohen about this, but I'll ask you in fairness. Is this one or two films? Is this his fourth film or is this his fourth and fifth film? In your, well, in
1: your opinion. I know his feelings. I know my feelings. But I want yours. Well, of course, Quentin himself said it was one film, and it was Harvey Weinstein I think that kind of pressured him to make it two films, or would have been a four plus cut. So I guess officially it's one film, but I just still can't help but feel like it's two films.
0: That is fair. I have always said yeah. it's one, but uh, again, if they do have two different feels to them, so they do, I, you know, they really and it's do. the, the longest film. It's ten. If we put it together, it's ten chapters. Like it's a long film. It right. really it goes, but it's a beautiful epic. It really is. just a beautiful epic,
1: and it has to count as one film. I know that. So for the record, I know it's one film. Because because this, because once upon a time in Hollywood is his ninth film, and he said apparently he's going to stop after his tenth. Oh, son of a bitch.
0: Let's hope yeah. not. But if he does, then you know, maybe, then at that point we'll say then this is his eleventh film. <laughs> we'll extend it out for him. <laughs> now, where do you rank this in your all-time QT movies? Is your list? Number is this one. your number one? That is your number one. Okay. Yeah. The whole the, the two of them or
1: volume two is your number one. And volume then... two, I I like. You know, it's funny. Well, I like volume two better than volume one. That, that's why you're here. Yeah. I love Volume 1. I love all of his movies. That's why I'm a QT fan. I, I just love what he does. I love everything he does. He's not a perfect filmmaker, and, but I love even his imperfect moments. And there's imperfect parts in, in Part 2 that we'll certainly talk about Or Volume 2. Yeah, I I love. I just love the cut of his jib. And this guy is just... He's the best of what he does. <laughs> I love all the criticisms, too, that people have thrown his way regarding, you know, he takes these elements from these films or whatever. And my, my response to that, isn't that what every filmmaker Yes. Kinda, I, I don't yes. understand how you can make a Western without saying it's like another Western. Or you can make a sci-fi movie without comparing it to star wars you can't like it's almost like that's just the nature of the genres like what i love is he mishmashes all these different genres you got a samurai and a western combined I, i think it's just fantastic what he's how he's able to blend so many elements to one film
0: Yes, oh, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it truly is. I mean, it's a revenge story, but it's a spaghetti western, but it's also a kung fu film, but it's also a samurai story. It's just, it just keep and going. A story and, about a
1: mother looking for her daughter.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and it's kind of a story of about a love gone sour as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the real this whole movie kicked it's off really with. Really bad. Bro.
1: It's a really bad breakup.
0: <laughs> yes, it ends with violence. That's it. <laughs> and let's stay together too long till it ends in violence. Fantastic. It started
1: with violence. That scene beginning when? Okay, what do? Are we? Go, sorry, it's your show. Yeah. No.
0: Oh, no, no. Again, you can you can uh, esponge upon what uh, Steve may have already talked about. It's perfectly fine.
1: Well, I mean, we know Kill Bill Volume One opens with the, the the killing of the bride. I remember it was very shocking to see that moment in in the film because you're like, oh. Yoma know, Thurm's dead? Like, is this the end of the movies? You know, is this the... At the at first, I thought they're showing that she gets killed at the end of the films, and it's about her journey to that death. I had, you know, I didn't know anything about the films, when I saw it. I tried very hard not to get too many spoilers before going to see a film. So what a great way to open a film. The main character gets killed, so to speak, or near death. And yeah. uh, just that there's some really... I mean, Quentin does this. He, he has violent moments in his films, but it's they're not violent films. If I mean, they're not I fests yeah. Yep the violence is
0: it's paramount to the story it's not just right. violence for violence sake but it's paramount to the story without that opening violence we don't have this movie this movie is something different you know it's not she's not trying to kill bill it's just the whole name's changed you know it's like uh re- reconciliation with bill <laughs> they lot different just having a heart to heart and they break up and now they're going to get back together it's a whole different story it's a lifetime movie
1: i think they were 34 years apart the uh caradine and thurman i think they were th- in real life okay. they were and they look that way in the film, so I think it's just yes. uh, I think it, there is a bit of a daughter father uh, relationship as, sure. well as, se- as well as sexual. I think there's a bit of that daddy issue or yeah, he, I would agree. Yeah. Kid, yeah, so I think that's on purpose. I don't think the age gap was unintentional in the film.
0: But unlike some other movies that have just recently come out in the theaters this year or last year, uh, kind of like a licorice pizza and stuff, at least the characters, while they there's an age gap, at least they're in the age range of being. Something that we can <laughs> we can swallow, I guess. Best you know, it's not like a thirty five year old man and like an eighteen year old girl or thirty five year old woman and eighteen year old boy, like where you're like, Jesus, this is she's at least in her thirties or early twenties when she meets him and right. he's in his like late forties, early fifties, gets to his sixties. So still it's you know, it's a little creepy for some it's, people, but at least it's they're still adults. You know what I mean? We don't feel like there's pedophilia or some kind of predatory animal going towards, you know. I think he saw her as a killer, which I know another the other thing is great, is we don't know her backstory or how they met, you know. Oh, I mean, we, we don't know how like, he even gets them all together, which is great. It's just completely left for, for us to just make up our,
1: ourselves. The only backstory we have is, of course, her name is Beatrix. That was the big... What a, what a weird reveal, too, that for whatever reason, her name was bleep throughout the movie. And then it was revealed with her being in class with the roll call. And, of course, it's Uma Thurman playing her child self. It's kind of funny. Here, her present, or whatever she says, yeah. you know what her yeah. name is. Beatrix, Beatrix kiddo. Just a, just a subtle little, like... What did that mean? Why did we have to <laughs> leave her name? Uh, and Because we always thought, I mean, I know when I first saw it, when Bill calls her kiddo, I thought it was just because she was young. But I guess that's officially just her last name is kiddo. But I thought it was a nickname yeah. that Bill had given her because she was young.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. So before we dive into volume two, I always have okay. my questions for you at the beginning. But these are going to be the new ones, because normally when a guest comes on, we find out what their Tarantino level is. But you've already surpassed that. You're in level oh, two boy. now. Oh, wow. In this film. Who do you think has the best chance of landing a
1: blow against Pai Mei? Well, this is an interesting uh, question, and uh, I'll give you my answer. And you might, I don't know if you'll disagree or not, but at first I thought it might have been Bill. Now, when Bill drops off Kiddo, To be trained by Pai Mei, he comes down, his face is all punched up because he had a, you know, they had a friendly or unfriendly contest, he says. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, friendly contest, yeah, that's right. And, you know, he's all beaten up. And you got to wonder, did Bill land any punches? Well, then when we see Pai Mei, Pai Mei looks completely undamaged from that scuffle with Bill. So I think Pai Mei probably pwned Bill, you know. 100%. Yeah. So I will say prime kiddo. I think prime kiddo. I think she is... For lack of a better term, she's the chosen one.
0: I like that. No, and I, I that's why he eventually, as we get through this, gives her the the keys to the
1: kingdom, so to speak. Because think about, she kills Bill. So if she can kill Bill, and I know Bill is older in age, but so is Pai Mei. I mean, Pai a thousand years old, whatever. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, she she outsmarts and kills Bill herself and the, the whole uh, the whole gang. So I would just argue prime kid, or whatever that prime may be, she has the best chance of landing a blow against Paimé. Of course, Pai may cannot be destroyed only through deception. Of all the characters in this film, who would you kill, marry, smash, the
0: new term for having sex with, and eat, which would be to stay alive? So it's not like, you know, being, I'm being sexual innuendo. If you had to kill someone, marry someone, smash someone,
1: and then eat someone to stay alive, who would they be? Well, kill right away Daryl Hannah as L Driver. Dead, like that. Just like she is a combination of her character and Daryl Hannah's acting. I'm sorry. I just have a she no, is, I know you don't like it. I know. It's weird. I we'll go I mean we'll get to some of her scenes, but I, I'm not a fan of I don't know if it's her acting or her character or both. Just unconvincing, irritating. She's irritating. Just she's an irritating character. She definitely <laughs> kill I'd kill her in a heartbeat. Uh Mary, well, of course, uh, Beatrix Kiddo. I'm yep. just so in love with him with her. I can't help yep. I don't care. I, she's so gorgeous in this film. She is just eye candy, I don't care. It's prime. She was pregnant or just had a baby. Yeah, or she did that's why they, they yeah.
0: put out this filming for her to have the baby, which really works, obviously, because then she's a story
1: about a mother and loss. So, right, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm just so in love with Uma Thurman in this film. I can't help it. So, marry Beatrix, because, because you know, if I marry yep. her, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have relations. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, Smash, I thought when I saw that, I love how you told me smash, you put in parentheses, have sex with. Thanks for clarifying. I, I,
0: well, you know, I mean, I, I didn't want to be too coarse like, you know, who you going to fuck? You know, I wanted to yeah, be like, we're, I'm Buck, we're here to fuck that kind of thing. So I didn't want to go Buck's
1: level. So I thought, you know, I'll use what the kids' terms is, and it's smash. So there you go. Now I cheated a little bit with this one. She only had a two-second part in it. Uh, Vivier Fox. <laughs> Vivica
0: Fox. No, it's a good, it's a good answer. Yeah, yeah
1: absolutely. Uh, Vernita yeah. Green. i I'm, I, I might be on board with you on that one for sure. Yeah, she's, she's a gorgeous woman. I mean, yes. So definitely, I would not uh, have any issues uh, rolling in the hay with her and eat Bud. But yeah,
0: he is. He's definitely the more portly of the people to to, to snag, got kind got of keep good you alive. Meat on him. He's, got, <laughs> I think he's got some good
1: healthy meat on him. You know, he's not I too agree. old. He's got a little bit of extra fat on him. Yeah, I think to stay alive, I'd eat Bud. Fantastic. Who do you think is the deadliest character in
0: the Tarantino verse? So we can st- stretch outside of this movie. Obviously, we have a lot of killers and
1: dangerous people in this. But who do you think is the deadliest character of all? Yeah, this is I'm gonna say an unfair question, but it should be obvious. And again, we're talking about Pai Mei again. I mean, if we're talking hand-to-hand yeah. abilities, yeah, anyone can get a gun to shoot anybody. That's not what we're talking about here. Because even Pai Mei was killed by poison. So when I think of deadliest character, I guess I'm arguing if you put them in the ring. Yeah. Just using their own bodies, and they're all wearing underwear.
0: Who's the one person you don't ever want to cross and come across? You know, who's the person who she makes you shit scary.
1: He is. Yeah, he's absolutely scary.
0: And he's a 1,000 years old. Just imagine when he was, like, a couple when he was younger. You know what I mean? Like, if he's this good at a 1,000, can't imagine when he's midlife at 500 years old. How tough he must be. And did
1: they ever say in the film he was a 1,000? Did they say those words, or was it just because of the date? So it's because of the story, you know? So it's kind of like
0: this myth of, oh, he's almost like a Yoda character,
1: except he's just evil Yoda. I I love how in this world it's a quote-unquote reality. Like there's very little in this film that couldn't that actually couldn't happen, <laughs> but we have this character that's almost mythical. It's interesting.
0: Yes. Well, again, if you're gonna do a uh, kung fu homage, right. you just you know, it all works. Who do you think has the best weapon in the Tarantino verse? Of all the weapons people pull out, and you know, we we get some interesting ones, and we you know we have some conventional ones. Who's your favorite?
1: Well, my favorite, and because I love swords. And I love samurai swords. And I'm a knife guy, sword guy. I love the aesthetics of swords in film in general. So that's why I love this film so much. So, of course, Hatari Hanzo, he's got the best collection because he makes these things. So it's him. So any sword that he makes is the best weapon. But uh, his collection or whatever it is, and we'll get to maybe a scene later with your questions. But uh, definitely Hatari Hanzo and his swords are just the coolest weapons. I mean, they're awesome. I'm on board with you for that. And lastly, whose career would you like to see?
0: Tarantino give a boost doing his Flash film. And this is a question that you came up with and talked about on Jackie Brown. So it's only fair to ask you and add this into the new lexicon of questions.
1: Well, this is a tough one because if you were to ask me maybe 10, 15 years ago, before Stallone did Creed and he had a bit of a comeback with his Rambo film and uh, like Rambo 4 and then his Creed films. But there was a time that Stallone was... You know, his movies were going straight to video and they weren't drawing box office and being sly. He reinvented himself. Um, he's not hurting like he's doing a new TV show. It's coming out November in November and Paramount Plus with Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Yellowstone. So he's in good hands right now. His career doesn't need reviving. So I think the new show that he's coming up called The Tulsa King will, will showcase what I would have said or hoped that sly would have had. 10, 15 years ago by Tarantino. So I kind of have a new answer because Sly, does, I would love to see Sly. Look, I, I always said, I would like to see any actor in a Tarantino film just to see what they do with Tarantino. Any actor. I don't care if it's Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth. It doesn't matter who. I you agree. Know? Just seeing anyone under QT's direction is just amazing to watch. Except for Daryl Hanna. I don't know why he couldn't help her. <laughs> I thought it was That being said, uh, today, for today's actor, and I think he sort of had a resurgence a little bit with his last film that was kind of mocking his life a little bit or poking fun his life, but i like to see Nick Cage come back with a serious role. I'm with you. Yep, I'm with you. I think they're good friends
0: and I think they would be absolutely excellent. I think the range with which Cage and the, the chances he's willing to take, especially with his newest film, I, I just think he's fantastic. I think he, it would be excellent. I think the two of them would, would make gold. So we'll see if it happens. Here's some fucking facts. Jack. Fucking 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 fucking
1: fucking 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 fucking
0: fuck fuck
1: given how many times is the word fuck used in kill bill volume two i don't think it's as much i think it's one of the least amount in the film so i'm gonna go low um i just watched it and i actually didn't do the count funny enough i i knew you were gonna ask but i actually just didn't think to count because i didn't want to quote unquote cheat so i'm gonna go with a guess i'm gonna say now nah, i know it's lower Seven.
0: Oh, a little high, but you're, you're in the right ballpark. Only 22 times okay. in this film. That's I think that's his lowest count in his films. Is this only gets 22 F-bombs,
1: which is surprising considering. That's what I mean. I knew it was low, and I thought, oh, maybe that's a little bit too low even for a QT film. But he, does, he even as time has gone on, he doesn't do it as much as he used to. Body count.
0: How many deaths do we get on screen in this volume, in volume two? Obviously, we know volume one is right. <laughs> a lot of slicing and dicing going on. But in volume two, how many go down? Are you including the murder in the chapel? We're including everything—everything everything that happens in the five chapters of Volume Two.
1: See, this is what I was gonna be hey, Ryan. You say this is your favorite film, and you don't know. I these are the kind of stats I just don't. I don't. I don't track. That's okay. Yeah, yeah I these, know. these are um, just fun stats. Yeah, these are just fun stats. Well, I know at least there was one, two, three in the party. Five plus another four or five. Get yeah, like, so I think there's at least eight deaths in the chapel, if not nine. then but uh, uh, yeah, so Daryl Hannah didn't die on screen. She was just blinded. Kill Bill died. I'm gonna say. Eleven. Ooh, that's a bingo.
0: (laughs) Right on the money. Eleven deaths. First person to guess it correctly of all my shows. Fantastic. Nice job. Ooh, some bare feet sightings. Now in this movie, this is this actually has quite a bit in this section. How many bare feet? Do we get to see, and again, as I've said, when the character comes into the scene, so you know, we'll cut away within the scene, we'll see the feet again, so it's not like every time we get to see bare feet, I like to keep it too. How many scenes do an actor
1: or actress, because there is some actor bare feet in this film? I don't think it's as many. I remember seeing when, was the bride wearing I think she was barefooted when she walked to meet Bill at the chapel. Um, That was one scene. So I'm going to go four. Nine. Close. There's nine. wow. That many? Okay. Yep. Wow. And Bill I get those is one bare ones wrong all the time. Yeah, Bill is one of them. Well, you know what it is,
0: is sometimes they're not always held in close up. Sometimes the actor oh. is just in there. When we yep. first get to Bill in the end, he's got shoes on when they, the surprise happens. And then after she comes down from the movie, he's sitting there getting drunk. He's got no shoes on, so it changes. Right. Next up, the motherfucking Tarantino-verse. Now, in this film, we have, in the Tarantino-verse connections, we have two solid connections and one sort of. Nope. The Acuna Boys is not only a gang in Acuna, Mexico that is run by Mr. Viejo, but it is also a fast food joint. And we see Arlene sipping from one of their cups in Death Proof, which comes next month. And as well, Sharonda was sipping on a cup in Jackie Brown that you and I just did last month. Number two. The lonely grave of Paula Schultz, the body that is exhumed so that the bride can be (laughs) buried alive in her place, belongs to the late wife, is believed, of Dr. King Schultz from Django Unchained. An estranged wife, obviously, that must have died prior to him going on his murderous rampage with Django. So there's our two solid are sort of the straight razor and cowboy boots that the bride wears are the exact ones that Mr. Blonde had in Reservoir Dogs So Michael Madsen loaned them to Uma Thurman for this role, and she wears them and uses them to get herself free. We all know how she gets out of the grave that's helped a pie me This is how she gets her hands free and is able to do it. But those boots and that straight razor are Mr. Blonde's from Reservoir right. Dogs. And those were the facts, Jack. And now the gospel according to the almighty Tarantino. Chapter 7 volume two kill bill volume two and now it's time to jump bloodily and gloriously into volume two And as you know, they each start with a prelude. I am not a fan of this because it's split into two at the beginning of this. Because what ends up happening is this is a scene that was added in. So where she's driving, which is lovely rear screen Um. projection in black and white where she talks about, you know, roaring rampage and all this stuff, which is great. And she says, I'm on my way to kill the last one. Which is great because it does set us up to think that, oh, she kills everyone in this section that she's going to get up to. Well, we'll get into that. Because it was thrown in an extra, for me, I don't know. Like I said, when I think of it as one movie... And I talked about it in the first one. There is no cliffhanger when you get the whole bloody affair. There's no cliffhanger at all. You don't know Uma's or the bride's child survives until the 10th chapter when you show up and you think she's going to kill Bill. And all of a sudden she makes the corner and there's her daughter standing in front of her. And I love that. I love that. Holy shit. I love the thing that we think the whole movie she's on revenge, revenge, revenge. But when, like you said, Weinstein wanted this to be, well, he wanted Tarantino to cut a bunch and how they made the concession was is Tarantino said what if I make it into two volumes that way I can tell my stories the way I want them to be and so in order to do that though he threw in the, the cliffhanger and then the prelude in this one to lead us in I don't like it again it's good if other people do to me it's the one cheesy part like I said in the in the last episode I get you know the whole thing of Bill talking to her is great but then when he says but does she know her daughter's still alive I know they had to add it in but for me as a fan I, I would have much rather even Come into this not even knowing she was still alive. Like I would have preferred the end of that one to just lose that, and I would we could we don't need we don't need the Have The last time you saw this movie, like if you came into Volume Two without seeing Volume One, oh, yeah. then it's then it's your fucking fault if you don't know what's happening. You're just a fucking idiot. Like who who goes to? I mean, I guess you could go like not to we're not some, taking a shit well, on Rambo, but you can um, see Rambo Two without Rambo One yes, and still can. have a good idea what the story is because it's a, its own story. But this it happens immediately after, so. If you come into
1: this one, you miss missing. Well, I think that's why it's called Volume Agreed. One and Two. I it's not Part One and Two because look at the Lord of the Rings, for example, the, that trilogy. It's three quote unquote films, but we all know it's one story. So this is where again I agree, agree with you know Quentin Tarantino, who made the freaking film, and Craig, I know he's listening. That yeah, this is one film where it's one story. This is a story period that had to get broken up in two parts. Same with Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite trilogies, of course. I love that those movies. It's actually one story in three films. Agreed. So, it's yeah. not part one and two. It's not yeah. like they made part one. It's like, oh, I hope this does well and we'll do a sequel. Those are the Ramble films. Those yeah. are even the Rocky yes. films, so to speak. Like, we get it. Those are lethal weapons. Like, there's never really a, an overall story when they made the first lethal weapon, but they, you know, hey, it made made money. Let's see more adventures. That's fine. That's fine. But no, Kill Bill was always intended to be this whole story. Yeah, absolutely.
0: How did you feel about the, the, the prelude? Do you like it or is, well, it, just, you know, it doesn't bother
1: you either way? You just kind of like no, hey, no, it's it. No, no. You know what's funny? That, no, it's not. And you're right. It's actually not very strong. It's Uma Thurman's amazing in this film. Film, and you, i agree with you actually i didn't realize it was kind of an afterthought type uh it almost feels that way now that you're saying that i can see that it's funny watching it again just yesterday for the first time it's been a few years so when she did that you know i will get my revenge and all the stuff it, it was cheesy but i thought well maybe it's supposed to seem cheesy i think you're right i think he's definitely leaning into still you know we're,
0: we're, after this film we go to death proof and he does do a lot of the homages for those right. kind of movies so this does feel like the beginning of that
1: but it wasn't uma's best acting it 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 did Agreed. it wasn't very convincing. Uh, she's more convincing when she sees her daughter. And that sequence, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about it right now, but just the way she acts in that sequence when she sees her daughter and she plays dead, but that look on her face of like, holy crap, that's my girl. And the way her face changes, she's just near tears, but she doesn't want to scare her daughter. Like, all those things happen at once. It's just, Uma's amazing in this film, in these two films. I, 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 ugh, it bugs me she didn't get an Oscar. I'm sorry. Like, her physical acting. Agreed. And we talk about that on a Rambo podcast all the time, of Stallone's physical acting in First Blood. That's, that's acting. Like, you can't just be there. You have to, it's not about just dialogue, which Quentin is amazing at. But what also Quentin's amazing at is getting his actors to emote the way they look. And Uma just kills it in these films.
0: Agreed. And speaking of being killed, we're gonna jump to chapter six: okay. massacre at Two Pines. So mm-hmm. I do like how <laughs> you know, with the little voiceovers, everyone thought that the, you know there was a murder during a wedding, but it was actually the actually like the wedding rehearsal. It's such I, yeah, that, that yeah. I love that part of the voiceover. Yeah, one of my favorite parts about this. And I, again, I'm gonna cherry pick things out, and if, if you have some stuff, throw it in. Sure. I just like to go through and just kind of find things that I find are funny. Because again, like you said, this movie's coming up on 20 years. Or actually, yeah, this is we just did 18, so this just hit 18 years. So it's. It means it's old enough to vote. It's been out a long time, so it's got it's old, it's old enough yeah. to smash. It's, it's old enough to smash. It's old enough to smash. Number one, they're both in the same age range now. I love that Rufus played by the great Samuel Jackson. Who there is a mm-hmm. fan theory out there that he is Jules Winfield, but no. Why it's a fun fan theory? It's impossible, but yes. just because of what he says of all the people he's played with. But still, it's a fun. It's just a you know, like I said, I've said it many times. If it's a theory you enjoy and it gets you sure. off and gets you in the way, then you know, lean into it. I don't give a shit. You're not hurting no. anybody. No, but I love. That he says, he asked them to suggest a song. And they go, what song would you like me to play? And then he suggests one. Like he just like he doesn't even give them an opportunity to pick a song. He goes, Y'all got a song you want? And then they're kind of thinking, he goes, I can play love me tender, whatever. It's just like <laughs> I, love I love how he's it. like, he's like, before they can actually suggest something, then he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not gonna open this can of worms. I'm just gonna suggest how about Love Me Tender by Elvis, which again leans into Tarantino's love of, of Elvis, but mm-hmm. it never touched me the way it did when I was watching it. Obviously, to do this with you. I was just like Holy shit, Rufus is just like, hey, would you guys like a song? He's like, no, fuck it. How about this song? How about this song we're going to play for you? I just love that little stroke of genius of, you know, obviously we've always said nothing is unintentional, and it's just a, mm-hmm. it's a r- small comedic moment that if you're not paying attention to it, it's fine. But when you start to rewatch things over and over again, and like, you know how everything's going to go, sometimes you get that joy as I'm sure now you're going, you know, I did your podcast with you, but as you go through things, you start to see things when you right. actually start to stop and look at them, you go, holy shit, that's pretty cooler!" oh my God, I didn't even notice they did that. So that was just one of those moments. I just absolutely love it. Now it makes me giggle every time I think about it. It's just like, what song would you like me to play? Because you know what? I can play this one. Almost like, fuck you. Don't even worry about it. Here's what we're, here's your, your wedding song. And so I just that
1: was just for me it was fun. No, I totally agree. Ruth, uh Samuel is just an amazing actor, and I I love I love him in the QT film film verse or whatever you want to call it. His uh, his acting under QT is just a I mean, well again everyone just gets the best from QT except for Donna Hanna. But uh, that being said, this wedding sequence it's a combination of fun revealing. And scary and very sentimental as well. Yeah, very sentimental. Well, it reminds me of the sequence at the beginning of One Glorious Bastards, which I th- am. I Am I all coming on that one? I can't remember for a Bible study um, regarding the when the, the, the Jews were hiding under the uh...
0: yes, uh, Mr. Lapidite.
1: Yeah, and so that whole stressful sequence of like, where is this going to go? Yeah, now we know by the title of this chapter, it's a massacre. Uh, or the, we already know from Kill Bill Volume One that yeah. these people were dead. But that, that's what makes it kind of stressful is how, because all the way they're talking and the way they're, you know, yes. if you, you're watching it, still kind of hoping, well, maybe it won't happen. Like, there's a part of you that... Nah, Agreed. I, yeah, like, maybe they won't, because they don't show the violence on screen, which is very interesting. Quentin Tarantino pulls outside the church, and the Viper Squad comes up with their weapons, and they walk into the church, and there's that scream from the Reverend, like, hey, what, what's going on here? Yes, what you, and then, what then she guys... yells, Bill, no! And then it just... yeah. Oh, and the gunfire goes off. It's very
0: haunting gunfire. Like, it's... Yes. Uh, especially given today, especially in America, given today's, mm-hmm. you know, the today's climate. You know, I mean, obviously, this is not... Right. Technically, technically, would be a mass shooting, obviously. But obviously, this is also... This was like a murder. This was an intention. Yeah. This was an assassination, so...
1: Yeah, and all the witnesses.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just, just an assassination at a very high level that was a little overkill. But that's what happens when you break the heart of a murdering bastard.
1: Oh, I wanted to say, when uh, the bride says, Bill, it's your bait, and then, of course, boom. The Headshot, yeah. did he hear that? Obviously, or like, so they I must, have cut, the, they must have cut the baby out of her, obviously, or you know,
0: that's a good question. That's something I asked um, Steve, and I won't give up what he said. I'll let, let people, yeah, who, sure. you know, if they're jumping between to listen, but it's a great question because it, it raises a lot of questions. Like, obviously, she's taken to the hospital and the baby's gone, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know because I think when she, I thought she, she, well, so she feels her belly and she. They never lift up the shirt, so we don't know if it was cut out or if she was in a coma and they had the baby and then so then you got a question. Well, if he claimed the like, there's a lot of things that he go in and steal the baby. Like there's a lot of things
1: that we don't know. Well, these guys are like professional assassins, Cobra type operations. They could have easily just stolen the baby. That's what I think probably ended up happening. But at the
0: same time, like another great thing. It just left. Never know. You'll never know. You know, we We don't don't know how
1: the baby was acquired by Bill. Exactly. Uh, now, did he? That here's the other question. Did he know? Because she said he says, "Oh, you got a bun in the oven or whatever." But did he? Did he even consider? I don't think he
0: knew. Again, it must have been like I said. So she went. And she found out she was pregnant. She must have found this other guy. So
1: who knows? You know, he thought she was for dead for a while. So because well, not even for a while because. He- it's his, his baby. So, I mean, yeah. a, they've all been broken up for seven or eight months. Well,
0: he says in this scene, he mourn, or at the at the end, he's like, he mourned you for, like, two or three months. And after that, he went to look for the people who killed her. So, I mean, there is a possibility. He doesn't know how far along she is, but she could be far enough along and been gone long enough that she could be start to showing. So, even when she's getting married, we have no idea how far along she is either. That's another... You
1: know, thing we don't know. I would say at least seven months. Probably close, because it's it's a pretty healthy belly on her. Not too bad. Like she wasn't waddling too bad, but she was showing for sure. So I'd say seven months.
0: I think you and I are able to say that because we both we have kids, so we we know how what our wives look like at as they progress. Where Billis is the only child he ever had, and he has probably no fucking clue. So he is probably in the dark about how far along she truly mm-hmm. is. You know, like he probably yeah. he probably buys that it is Tommy Plimpton's child, that he
1: doesn't. Did know. the bride know at any point? They, because she says, like, you know, you promised to be good. Did she really believe the wedding was going to happen? Was there part of that believed that Bill was there just to watch?
0: So I wrote this down. I was going to bring it up. She totally misses Bill's comment as last looks, as a statement that is a purposeful line to her that she doesn't get uh, when she asks, what, she, what are you doing here? And he goes, last looks. It came across sweet as if he was getting last looks of her as the bride as before she becomes woman. married, but that's not what he was talking about. And well, she, you know, that, that was like a line crazy. that she he drops in that is so you know so tender, but yet. Here's the funny thing. As the audience, if we pay attention to that, we already know what's going to happen. That's the cue for us, right there. We go, "Yep, right, what's no, going to happen?" She, as obviously the person who's not in the know like we are, has no clue. But that was the line. Much like I get into with my guest for Death Proof, which I recorded before you. But there's a line in Death Proof that we talk about where, uh, when he repeats the sentence to Butterfly and says, "You know, you have miles to go before you sleep." You know, even though it's in a poem, he's saying, "In a few miles, you're going to drive, and then I'm going to kill you and put you to sleep." Like there are just these little lines that are mm-hmm. in there they're just they're poetic irony they're just said they're beautiful you're like oh that's and then you, you don't realize it's a really great foreshadowing of exactly what's about to happen and i think she's apprehensive and i you know i think part of it is theo you know, as she's walking out to get air she hears his flute which will come prevalent later on in a couple of chapters but he's playing his flute and she knows immediately you can see the look on her face change mm-hmm. and she knows he's here and she's very apprehensive when she walks out she's not sure of his intentions. No. So I, I think the whole time, she, I mean, she knows how deadly he is. She knows yeah. exactly who he, this guy is. She has been lulled herself into a sense of security because she's his girl or was his girl and thinks that because of that. And even Bud makes a comment about it in a little bit about no one's Buffaloed Bill like she Buffaloed Bill. Right. She thinks that she's got, you know, she's charmed him and like he is under her spell. And we find out that, and he even says it, when you break the heart of a murdering bastard, there are consequences. And she found him. So, yeah, I mean, their whole whole conversation is so bittersweet. It's, you know, we spent a whole five chapters in the first film hating this man, Bill. Or at least, Mm -hmm. you know, the way they hit him, the way he's not seen, the great job of creating a character kind of like what they've done with Marcellus Wallace and other characters before. We just, you know, kind of like this myth of this person is built up to when we finally see him to open this movie. Here's this sweet looking older gentleman playing the flute and he's there and he looks like he's heartbroken. Like the love of his life has decided that he is not the one she wants to be with. And so... All of a sudden, what we know, it's almost like if you hear a rumor about someone being like, oh, this guy's an asshole, this girl's a bitch, because your friend tells you it, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I I agree with my friend. You know, I'm I'm on their side. But because you don't get both sides of the story, we've already created this person as a villain. But now, once we see their side of the story, you feel for him, yeah. We know he's a murdering bastard, but the man has heart, man has feelings, and so she broke his heart. Like, and we have learned that even further at the last chapter, and like, you know, he really was devastated by what he thought was her death, and so he's pissed off that she fucking lied to him. So while he may be a murdering bastard, if you take what he does for a living out of the equation, you can kind of see where he, like I said, I'm not saying that he what, what happens is, is right. legitimized, but you can see where that gentleman now, given his line of work, where that's the reaction he would. Probably half. This is the probably the first time he's ever let his guard down towards a woman. You know, because when he eventually right. gets with Elle, she's just there to meet needs. You know, I, I just, yeah, you know, yeah, she's yeah. just there to fill the hole kind of thing. Right. But yeah, th- this whole section is just absolutely... A Beautiful look into what was seemed like a really good romance. A, re, a really, you know, they really loved each
1: other. I, I believe they did, I believe they had something special. We're never really told why they broke up. Did we ever get indicated? Well,
0: it's when she tells him at the end, is when she finds out she's pregnant, she was worried that what would happen right. is, is that this he would then indoctrinate, like basically she would be raised to be a killer like Beatrice. Right. And she was like, I, I don't want that for my child, I want her to actually grow up and have a normal life, right. whatever that means. But she knew that Bill would not let that happen, so she knew what a mother would do, she chose her children. Over, over the, the possibility of danger for her life. Regardless, it's funny. No matter what she did, it looks like her life may have it depend. You know, we probably would never get the Kill Bill Volume Three, but it looks like she was maybe always fated to possibly having to be this way, anyways, because of the two parents and who they are. Right. Yeah. Great opening. The sad thing is, is in this film, in this moment the real victims here are Tommy and the rest of the gang. Right. They have no idea. No, he's not, I mean, they get fired. murdered for nothing. They're just, he just thinks he's met some cool lady who he's like punching way above his weight yeah. in his weight class. She seems to want to be with him. And he's like, well, shit, right, this is like, I'm going to start a family. Who's going to say no to Uma Thurman at that yeah, time? And so no this one. poor guy and these everyone I else know. in the church gets massacred for nothing. I mean, talk about yeah. wrong place, wrong time. I feel bad for them. They're the real victims, not her, because I Obviously, with the daughter, that's a horrible thing, but she is a killer. I think we forget about that. I think because she's our star, she's really a bad person, too. She's a horrible human being as well. Now, obviously, we start to feel for her because she's a mother and she lost her child, so we can all identify with that. But at the end of the day, she's no different than a Manson member of the family. Like, yeah, if a right. Manson member had a child, you'd be like, oh, that's great, but you know, you wouldn't have like this place in your heart. Tarantino does a great job of making this villainous character who she really would be, she's a part of the Diva Squad, into right. being like our hero, and we're like, oh, we feel so bad for Beatrix. And at the end of the day, she's really a horrible person. She's she was, you know, she was out to kill somebody when she found out she's pregnant. Yeah. And look how many people she was willing to kill just to get revenge for losing her child. Like, she's not a Hallmark mom. We're
1: not like, you know. No, she's she's your or our We're rooting for her. We want her to get her revenge. And like Bud says in that great scene, you know, she deserves her revenge. Yes, in the same scene. Like that that kind of parlays in with it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that sequence. Yeah. Well, I actually want to talk about, there's something you can add to your questions, actually. I was thinking about this. Now, you can add, you don't have to, but I was thinking about your questions. I was thinking about when I was watching this film. Quentin does this a couple times in his films where it's a negative question, so I don't want to be negative, but it is a negative question. No, go ahead. No, please. The question would be, when the buildup doesn't pay off, okay. Or I don't know how to word it. No, no, what you mean? For example, the sequence when Beatrix and uh, Bell Driver, Bell Driver, thank you. When they yep. fight off, they square off. I love that whole fight. That fight was amazing. Yes. you could argue. You could argue that was the lead off. That was when they both draw the swords. It was a very nothing happened. And I always remember thinking, like they they, they cross swords and there's a strength yep. contest and we know what happens, of course. Uh, you know. The point is, I wish they kind of had more sword play. So me, because I love swords. I granted, yep. we got a lot of it in volume one. I get. It. we gotta yep. but I and want we will, to see we these...
0: actually I cover a lot of this when we get which will be after your episode next week which will okay. be the second Bible study for this month and we actually get okay. into the L verse oh, Beatrix fight
1: okay. so incredible fight I yes. love it it's brutal it's amazing well done great sound effects great violence uh brutal I cringe and you watch it halfway with your eyes half open it's just like they're beating the crap out of each other and amazingly filmed where did anyone really get hurt I, like you got one of these little stunt ladies Good for I know them. I know but that being said when they cross swords I was like not the payoff I, and I've never recovered from them. even though now I know what's coming I kind of wish there was just more sore play. like they had gone out, maybe out outside the camper and did some out in the open type anyways your points are very valid okay I have
0: a question for you sure right before she gets married and they're standing there and he says to her if he's the man you want then go stand by him if she had decided to not to she had had a second feeling, would the event still have happened? Do you think Bill still would have killed everybody? Or would they have quietly walked out? Because she already told him he was her dad. like, What do you
1: think would have happened? I don't know. I think maybe that's a good question. Alternate universe. Uh, if she had met him outside, I'm like, she's like, you know what? I don't know if this is the life for me. Uh, seeing you now makes me realize and just so you know, this baby's yours. Or if she got that all out right away, there might have been a whole different conversation. You know, I can't believe you're here, here Bill. I came up to get some fresh air because I'm stressed out. I don't know if this is what I want. And- that was kind of talked about at the end of the film, where you know, uh, which I've got that yeah. for my uh, one of your questions that whole dialogue there about who they are as people. I think if kiddo said, Hey, yeah. yeah, seeing you now makes me realize I've made a wrong choice. I will you take me back? And by the way, this baby's yours, to, just so you know, let's just go. <laughs> it's fun
0: to All think right. about. I, I, I was thinking about that day I was like, Hmm, obviously, we don't have the movie, but in another universe, I wonder if things had turned out differently. Yeah, there might be another universe where that
1: happened. Yeah, not it's a fun film to watch, but yeah,
0: yeah, Oh, agreed. Now, right before this chapter ends, what we've learned in this chapter is we learned that obviously Bill, the one female he truly loved and let his guard down to was obviously Beatrix. But we also learn that him and his brother have had fractured Mm. differences from this. Now, I have two beliefs on it. Well, I have one belief and there's a fan belief. The fan belief is, and I kind of lean towards it a little bit, but Bud and Bill had a falling out due to a love triangle Mm. over L. Driver, as obviously L. Driver has always been jealous of Beatrix because she wants Bill, and then fills the void once Beatrix is gone. The other thing is, is in this, after this moment, the massacre at Two Pines, it feels like the divas, they fracture apart, because almost immediately, Vernita Green's gone. She goes off and becomes someone else like, she may have already been dating someone on the side. She becomes Jeannie Bell. She changed her name, and then she eventually gets pregnant and has a kid of her own.
1: So Bill, Bill, let that happen, which is weird.
0: We've got, as we talked about in the first volume, you've got Oren Ishii. She goes back over to Japan, and he helps her take over the Yakuza, but she goes over, and she's no longer really technically a part of the Divas. She's now running the Yakuza, which obviously has its benefits for Bill, of course. And then Bud just says, fuck it. Whatever he does, he just decides to, to disappear into frozen margaritas, titty bars, and you know, the desert of California. And the only person who stays by his side is Elle. This moment is, not only is it the technical death of the bride, but yeah, it's the death of again. that whole group. Like this, that yeah. moment ends everything. No, no it really point, fractures you know. everything. And so when they finally meet each other and see each other, you know, we can tell that Bud is deeply Wounded by his brother, he lies to him about pawning his Atori Hanzo sword for two fifty in El Paso. So we, we can see that Bill has a way of just like pretty much leaving nothing but destruction in his path when things don't go his way, or you know he just has a tough time with real human connection outside of like when he says to the bride, like as opposed to making large sums of money, killing human beings, like that is who Bill is to his core. Like even though he may be a good father, whatever we you know we may learn down the road, but seems like to his core the one calling in his life that he loves, like almost like he's a professional athlete, is he loves killing human beings and. Making large yeah. sums of money for it. Like, I almost feel like he had, like, if we had planned down, he would have been rock hard after saying, like, it's almost like that was like what really gets him up oh, in the morning yeah. is that kind of thing. But it leads us to chapter seven, mm-hmm. The Lonely Grave of Paula Schultz. And this has one of my favorite side characters ever, Larry Gomez, played by the great Larry Bishop. I fucking love the whole scene of Bud showing up to the titty bar late. And the whole yes. bossing, the whole—is that Bud? Get your ass back in Sid Haig, Bud. It's just, I love how they keep treating him like such a like a, like a little child. Like Bud can hear him yelling for him, but Sid Haig goes, Bud. Larry would like to see it. Like, so I love the whole thing. But the take a hit, be somebody, baby. It's just. I don't know why every time he says that, it's just such a, like you're in this shitty ass titty bar in the deserts of California and you've got this stripper in your room and he's like, take a hit, be somebody. Like like anybody in that room is anybody. I just I don't know what it is about Larry Bishop as the role of Larry Gomez, no, but yeah.
1: that's a great scene His
0: whole interaction. With Bud, right. because we know Bud's a killer. And at this time, Bud has had his nuts clipped, his tails between his legs. Like, he's a shell of himself. Like, he is what he might have been. Where Bill, we always feel like, God damn, you don't trust Bill. Like, you're always like, Bill could kill you at any second. Like, Pi May. In this film, at this moment, Michael Madsen as Bud, brilliant. Talk about could have, should have been nominated for something. Like, what an amazing role he plays in this. Showing real acting chops. But he's such this loser, down look like just like a sad puppy dog. He's just been beaten one too many times. And you're like... You've got this one guy who runs his titty bar, and as we learned, he yeah. also run, ran a car wash. <laughs> I don't know, car wash you worked at that lets you stroll in 50 minutes late, but I owned a car wash. I just love that character and how we get to see this real power dynamic switch. I almost feel like I'm more intimidated by Larry than wow. I am by Bud. I'm almost like Bud's a pussy. Like she's going to be able to kill
1: him without even, you know, without even sneezing. At least that's what, you know, we interpret before the scene gets f- further. Well, I didn't know his name, Larry Bishop. So thank you for bringing that up. I He looked familiar, but when I went to, his Wikipedia page. He's just a bit actor. He's been yes, a lot. Yes, has been against-
0: a lot of B movies. But again, like we said, Tarantino finds these characters yeah. and he falls in love with them, and they make it to his film. And you go, like, yeah. it's like it's the greatest movie he's ever been. It's great. Yeah,
1: it's, it's a great great role, and you just you feel the pain of Bud because we've all had a boss like this, and uh, you're like, why didn't he kill him? But I think it's supposed to lead. I think the reason why that happens, I think we're led to believe that Bud is not good anymore at yes. being a killer. I think yes. it's a it's a misdirect uh, for the audience because when he rock salts <laughs> the, I that scene that's a violent scene that I can never stomach very well I just the fact that her, like like Buzz said, those beautiful breasts are now scarred by by you idiot. Could you hit her like in the arm or the shoulder or the gut? Well, it's another
0: great turn because what Tarantino does, you know, like a lot of movies, you know, the hero, you know, again, a lot of great movies, great action movies, the hero has to run into an obstacle, look like they're down to be able to rise again like a phoenix. Right. But we've watched her go through 88, well, you know, as they say, 88 people. She's fucked everyone up in volume one. So we're like, what's the difference in volume two? Why wouldn't it be the same. And I like that, you know, obviously she probably picked those first two as she felt that they were the two easiest targets to go after. Right.
1: Yeah. So it's like a video game.
0: Where Bud and L Driver were not, the, you know, she knew those were going to be a lot harder characters to take out once she got to Bill. So, you know, I'm not saying like, Oren's oh, a, a pushover by no means, or Vivica Fox, but in her mind, she knew them. She assessed, who do I go after first? Let's start off easy. Let's get myself, you know, worked back into shape, take out these guys, and then I'll get to Bud and I'll get to L. And I'll, you know, maybe by then I'll be at top form. We should have known that as an audience, but we, we just don't pay attention to it. We just think it's just random lists. It's not a random list. It's just, I think she organized it, but this so Larry Bishop character has two of my favorite lines. I've used this a lot. Are you trying to convince me that you're as useless as an asshole right here, and he touches his elbow? Yes. You fucking convinced me. I've used that so many times. <laughs> the people I've worked with are just useless. I'm like, you convinced me. Yeah. I must use, whenever someone's fucked up, or even just in friend groups, it's calendar time. It's calendar time for Buddy. My favorite moment in that, though, is as we're talking about Bud's this killer. He talks and goes, the only way you kids understand is fucking with your cash. I looked at him I'm like, you're the same fucking age. Like that's how little he thinks yeah. of Bud. He thinks of Bud as like this little oh, peon sure. who's a nobody and the only one he's going to learn, this kid he's hired, is by fucking taking it in the fucking face with losing his money. I just love just the whole way he talks down to him, just the way Bud just has to sit there and fucking take it.
1: Yeah, and you feel bad for Bud. In fact, the the one part that is actually the worst, not the worst part, the worst for Bud for whatever reason, where you almost, like, it broke your heart a little, but this guy's just broken. When uh, Larry Bishop's character says, and one more thing, that hat. Why do you wear that stupid hat? I want cowboy hat. And Bud takes it off, and he doesn't wear it outside. Like, when he goes, he he takes it off and holds it, and he he's embarrassed. It's like when you have your friends say, oh, this is a stupid shirt you're wearing. And you're like, oh, <laughs> like, it's a embarrassed. Grown- this guy has killed people with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. And he's being uh, stripped apart by this uh, boss. And he takes off the hat. Like, oh, I look stupid with this hat. You can tell that this wasn't an act. Like, he felt embarrassed to be wearing the hat. He goes, well, I like this hat. But now you're embarrassing me. And he takes it off. And he actually, I think he wears it off his head as he goes to his truck outside.
0: Do you know how that scene came about? No. Michael Madsen was wearing that hat on set a lot. And Tarantino... Fucking hated it. He he was like, dude, he was trying to get him to convince to take it off. And he didn't want to. He liked it. So Tarantino added that moment in the film so that Michael Madsen had to sit there. So when Bishop is like, that hat, that fucking hat. Hat that shit kicker! <laughs> when I'm not the boss of the customers, and the boss. That whole thing was Tarantino's revenge on Mattson to have to sit that's there because awesome. he hated that fucking hat. And it's a great line, so I think that's kind of why you get the great reaction from Michael Mattson because he knows he's just like and kind of yelled at by a friend. So it's I think it works so well oh, that's great. when you, you know, learn QT's, about that
1: backstory. You're just like that's fucking awesome. QT's uh film that just laughing. He's probably back there just like yeah. Oh, he's he's, oh, just, he's loving it. Yeah, you yeah, he had to.
0: But we get home. Uh, we get to the You know, he drives home, and we all have an idea that this is this is what's going to happen. We have an idea when he gets home, B's going to be there somewhere. Now, like you said, we have been led to believe something that is not one hundred percent necessarily true, and that is that Bud is no longer got anything going for himself. He knows almost instantly when he pulls up. He's out of his truck. Yes, there's an instinct. Something kicks on. Whether it's a, a spider sense, the yes, the there's force. a disturbance in the fourth. He feels that
1: she's there. Yeah. And everything else we see afterwards is him play acting.
0: Funny thing is, is, then he lets his guard down a little bit when we get to chapter nine. But at this point, he's on the, all of a sudden, he's on the top of his game. Maybe it's because he just took a tongue lashing and is kind of like, what the fuck is wrong with me? You know what I mean? Maybe he's, why am I letting people walk on me and treat me like shit? Dude, I don't know almost like, that. do you know who the fuck I am? But the minute he gets out of that truck, he was like, he mm. fucking knows. Like,
1: yeah, he knows. He's back. Like all, all of a sudden, from. the
0: switch came back on. Yeah. yeah the survival switch. It's well, like we talked about Rambo. Yeah. The yeah, switch right. was flipped and he's like, oh I'm Back where I need to be. My question for you is this: It's a shit trailer. He doesn't unlock the door. He right. walks in the trailer. Why is Beatrix hiding under the fucking trailer? Why is she not in the trailer? So when he opens the door, sword to the chest, out he goes, and then whatever she has to do there, dice him up, find out where Bill is. What this is where think- Beatrix actually outsmarts herself. Again, I do understand, folks, that we wrote that's written this way, it's designed this way for what we get, right? But I'm just I- asking, in a, if this is a real world scenario, why?
1: well I think the way Beatrix gets her revenge is she's unlike l Driver she does it face to face I don't think she's a covert killer I think that's the honor system everyone she's killed it was a fight it was face to face she might surprise attack you but she won't poison you snake bite you like L Driver I mean she faces everyone kind of in their home you know the fight beginning of course part one with Vivia uh, Fox so I think to her credit I think that's what it is I think she's hiding but she's gonna fight him he's She's going to break in and say, I'm here, and let's go. That might be the only thing I can think of.
0: This is why I have guests on. This is why I ask them these questions. That's sure. actually a really good point because, you know, you actually made me think as you're talking about it. I'm like, no, no, yeah, he's fought. He's fought everyone the same way. Similar to what Pi May does when we get to him. He actually almost wants the contest. He's like, see what you got. I want to see what you can bring to me. So I guess maybe she has learned the fighting style like him, and she's, like, honorable fighter. It's like like an honor thing, yeah. Now, I'll reverse that question for Bud. Now, he shoots her in the chest with rock salt. That leads me to believe that, one, he had prepared for this. He was ready in case it happened. He should know how dangerous she is. Like, he's already just been told by his brother a couple maybe days earlier. I mean, the guy who swore a blood oath, all she has to do is mention his brother's name, and he's creating the greatest sword ever made by a man to kill everybody. Why isn't he just killer? Like, why why is he messing around and and playing with with fate and being sneaky and shooting her in the chest with Roxanne just to gentle her up and to bury her alive. Like, why are we fucking around with this person? Well, he's sadistic. You know, you don't you don't toy with a bear if it comes in your house. So you want it dead. You're not going to like, oh, Yo, yeah. you know, toy with the, the bear
1: and put it in a cage. But sadistics. That's his thing is he's sadistic. He's a creep. I think he likes to watch. He's the type of person that plays with the prey. Plays or, with his food before he kills it. Yeah. yeah before he eats it or kills it. so you're right you're thinking like why don't i just kill the person attacking me but for bud it's about like i think he's i forget the exact dialogue but when he's talking to her he you know it stings doesn't it like he enjoys look why do murderers would look i listen to a few true crime you know, podcasts yeah, in my time. No, you, here's some really points. horrible stories. Like people get a kick out of torturing people and uh, causing pain before their ultimate death. So that's, I think what we have here, yes, is a bit of a plot device because you're right. She's not dead. He could have had, that could have easily just been a shotgun and she would have been blown apart. But for Bud, it's about the torture and and uh, playing with this food before he eats it.
0: Another great point. Another great
1: point. I'm on board. Yeah. I just,
0: sometimes, you know, it's when you...
1: They all have their own styles. I think that's what you're seeing. Yes. Everyone has their style fighting. Yes. We'll get to, of course, Elle Driver and her style.
0: It kind of goes to things. I may have said to you, but I've said a lot. Is what makes these movies great? What I really enjoy about Tarantino is he allows the flaws that they have, their character flaws, to sometimes be their downfall, but makes it feel very realistic. You know, this character flaw of his, of you know, or or even for her, her character flaw of I've got to fight them clean instead of you know sometimes you know I'm going to fight them the way they would fight me. Gets her in the issue she's in in this scene. Same thing for him. If he had just killed her things might have been different for him, you know? So always fun to kind of dig into these moments of why do these characters do what they do? You know, there's so much depth to the characters, unlike, and again, I'm not taking a dump on Star Wars or the MCU because I love all of them. Sure. But it's why these characters sometimes feel a little bit more constructed and we like them more is because we get a real sense of the humanity as opposed to like, well, this character has got to get from this point to this point and we'll have some character arc to get him there. But sometimes it just feels like we already know they're going there as opposed to we kind of meet these people mid of their journey. We don't know a lot about their backstory. You know, we learn most of stuff by being with them and we get to see some of these flaws and these flaws come to fruition and sometimes are their demise, which I really enjoy that. I feel like, you know, we're not getting cheated in the story. You did say something about him being creepy, right? I was surprised at how quickly he had the night night juice so readily available sure. to put someone to sleep. Like I feel like that was always he has this on hand at all times. Yeah. I'm not saying that he rapes people or does other things, but he's just prepared. I guess that's the best way to say it. he's sure. prepared to put you asleep. To, like you said, to be sadistic, to do what he's got to do. It was a little creepy that he was had that so readily available at his disposal to be ready to put to put someone to sleep. But I also loved that right before he does give the old shot that he has, the spit contest where she spits blood at his face. Right. And it's almost like that, who's Dick's bigger contest? And he's like, oh, that's cute. And he just gobs that yeah, giant so stream gross. of spit across their face. And then he goes, I win. I love that he just adds that in. It's, it's like a brother moment, like a sibling moment where like your the younger brother thinks they got the upper hand and the older brother's like, oh no, I've been doing this far longer than you have, son. And they, they get you with something like that. But it's those little comedic moments that break some of the tension. Just for a Moment, you know what I mean? Like it kind of lets you off the hook for a second to breathe and have some fun before we jump back into like what's going to happen to her next. Like we have no idea at that point. So we definitely have now found out what Bud's potential is, and then we go to the lonely grave of Paula Schultz. Even in that segment, you know, we get this the short little guy. Ah, that's what the white women call the silent treatment. <laughs> He's just he always has these great but, little side characters. Such so great migen? little I lines. I don't, I don't I know.
1: Just, He's like maybe five feet tall. It's just fight <laughs> the, way, uh, the way Bud picks about the grave almost like a little kid. It's kind of funny.
0: Yeah. Uh, like And uh, he forces this poor short guy to d- like dig deeper. Yeah. He's like,
1: get me out of here. <laughs> I've so always wondered about that relationship. It's weird. I wonder if that was Spud, Bud and Spud. Well, I love
0: the fact that he goes, isn't she the cutest piece of blonde pussy ever since Sears? Yeah. And then he goes, I've seen better. I love that he no, just I, I like, know. I've seen better. Yeah. <laughs> and then he snores It's no. been... <laughs> just so great little moments. But we do find out that Bill is you know, as much as Bud has kind of earlier like doesn't seem to have a great relationship with his brother, but you can see that he really does care about his brother and that what he's doing, as you said, was to get revenge for her breaking his brother's heart, which is why and what a great scene. Just talk about that, giving you claustrophobic feel, the way they shoot it with her in there. And just the watching the nails be driven into the wood. Just you know, just playing with your mind of like you're watching your
1: death be sealed, your tomb yeah, be great. sealed to know you're going under. I saw it in the theaters, of course. I just remember the uh, theater sound of that conk conk that it comes out of nowhere and it startled me. I remember because it, it was dark and just that sound of the hammer on the wood and the nail. It's just so loud. Don't don't and that's what it sounded like for her in this tight little box. It's a very stressful moment. Anyone that's claustrophobic would have a hard time watching the sequence. Uh yeah. I wanted to say though, Bud, we've talked a lot about Bud, because he's been in a lot of this film so far. Yes, and yes. He's Michael a, yeah. Madsen, he kills this role. This is peak Michael Madsen. Every line he delivers is amazing. Absolutely. The way he delivers it. And that sequence before she went into the ground or into the coffin, when she was fighting, you know, she was squirming like a worm. She was tied up. And he pulls out that mace, the bear mace, and pokes it right yeah. into her eye. And the way he convinces her, it's a very like whole he's like now you're going in that grave now whether you want to go in blind or not i'm giving you the sight i'm giving you a flashlight but if you want to be blind and have your Eye sockets burning out, like, oh, she's like, I guess there's that. But the way he convinces her, even her, like, don't fight anymore, or you're going to, I'm going to melt those out of your eye sockets or whatever, her eyeballs, like, holy. He's placed such a, yes. it's like a calm anger. It's hard to explain. He never really yells or screams or anything. He's just a scary. Yeah. He's in complete control. He goes, You have, you don't have any
0: power. I'm showing you a small amount of mercy right now. It gives her no choice. Flashlight. I'm going to put you into the ground with the flashlight. But if you're going to continue to be a horse's ass, yeah, that's right. burn these your eyeballs out of your fucking sockets. It's your choice yeah. right now. Choice A or choice B. And I love how she doesn't answer with her mouth. She just points yeah, her head. Yeah. I love at the that answer. Yes. Yeah. Such a good way to respond as opposed to we don't need oh, her to she's so say anything. Yeah.
1: Good. And you almost that that physical act. Of course, don't no dialogue, but the way she nods her head at the flashlight. It's such a great, those are great little moments where I assume Quentin, is that in the script? You know, nod curtly at the flashlight? Like those. I, I always wondered about I know. that. If you never
0: know, It maybe it is. A lot of times it is. But, uh, you know, knowing him, maybe they tried it both ways. Right. You know, and then in editing, Sally Menke, the late, great Sally Menke, phenomenal editor, did not get, should have been nominated almost every time she did one with him. But unfortunately, didn't. It. Probably them sitting there going, yeah, that's the choice. The the nods is the best best choice for this. That leads to Chapter 8 and the cruel tutelage of Pi May. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about just myth-building and character-building throughout this entire film. Every character, except right. maybe Vernita Green. Maybe she's the only one who didn't get, you know, she gets thrown right in. Like, punch to the face, and away we go with them. The other ones, you know, obviously, Oren gets a backstory kind of thing. We learn a lot about El Driver. We get this bud scene. So a lot of them get great mythology from all these characters. And none greater than Pi fucking May. I am a fan. Being in America, I, we both, as we talked about, we both grew up in the same time frame. Kung Fu Theater on Saturday afternoon. Sure. This is, I mean, this is right out of that. This is right out of that love. This is that. You know, I can still see the, hey, huh, you know, the, the really bad voiceover stuff. But it was so great when you're a kid. You love it. You would do it outside with your friends. You would pretend to fight. You'd be like, make your lips move. And a guy like Pai Mei, who is an actual character from other movies, right. the fact that he's in this and the fact that we see him and we get. This great character, and again, it starts off with he's built up before we ever see him, and we learn the flute. We get to see Bill with the oh, flute. that sequence. Okay, great sequence. Can but, I spoil something
1: in terms of? Please, do. I mean, at this
0: point, it's eighteen years. If you're you're not spoiling anything, at this no. Point.
1: But I mean, regarding your questions, because one of your questions is, uh what is your favorite scene from the film? And it's hard to pick a scene because. This film is just chocolate. It's well, scene after scene. The whole movie, yeah. Yeah. There's a few that I don't like, and that's almost easier to talk about. (laughs) Okay. A couple that I, like like that intro at the beginning, for example, that's one of the weaker scenes. It's almost like, but everything else is so good. So my favorite chapter is probably how I would word this one for me, is this chapter. This whole chapter. The way it starts with the uh, the legend of Pai Mai with the flute playing by uh, Carradine, the way Uma is like looking at him with soul love filled in her eyes and wonder. This is the night before she gets trained. Uh, Bill coming down the, the the stairs and the way Uma looks throughout all this whole training montage. And then her fight with Pai Mai at the beginning. The, oh, the screaming, the pain when her arm is broke or being broken. All that stuff. It's just yes. this whole chapter from beginning to end when she climbs out of the grave. The, the music score. It's the best chapter, probably the best 15-20 minutes of any Tarantino film, hands down. I'm tending to agree with you. It's absolutely phenomenal. Everything. Every sequence in the moment. Every Everyone is just yeah. on. Carradine, Therma, and uh, what was the guy's name to play Pai I forget. Oh, Gordon Gor- Liu?
0: Gordon Liu, yes. Because he also played the bald leader of the uh, Crazy 88 yeah, in Fire weird. 1. He plays 2. So 2 characters play 2 roles. Yeah. Earl McGraw uh, is in Part 1, and then Uh, James Parks who plays him, and then he plays uh, Senor Viejo, Esteban Viejo, in this one. So, which is, you know, we have two guys playing two different roles in both different movies, and they're both Phenomenal both roles, but Pai Mei, uh-huh. the story that he tells about the killing mm-hmm. of the Lotus Clan is actually a real story that is believed about the guy that they kind of that this Kung Fu world has created Pai Mei to be. There was a belief that back in China, this guy actually helped get this clan of uh, monks killed, and he was one of the reasons that they all died. So he takes some of that lore and he builds it. And right. when Bill's telling the story. It's a lot like, you know, when we hear about Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction about, you know, he threw a man out of a fucking apartment building because he touched his wife's feet. So right off the bat, when we first see Ving Rhames' character as Marcellus, we're like, to bad motherfucker. Like we we definitely don't want to mess with him. Same thing with Paime, which maybe even better with Paime because of the story, you know, It's just because a guy didn't return a nod he may or may not have seen. A polite gesture that Paime very rarely gives was not returned, and because of that, he kills. An entire fucking Shaolin temple. He's like, what the fuck? That's insane. Nah, so it's insane. So we know insane. right off the bat, you are like, man, this dude's tough. Like his lore is, and again, he said, you know, it was 18-odd something like, or, or, you know, right before the 1900s. So it's like, or 1908 or whatever it was. I I think it was
1: 1008. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah,
0: I'm sorry. Yeah. He's like, oh, my God, 80. So you realize he's a thousand years old. And you're like, wow. And again, you know, you're thinking, okay, whatever. And then he talks about, and again, he does this in a lot of movies. He's, It's his MacGuffin. It's like he shows the gun, but he never shows the gun. He talks about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And we should know that it's going to come. But we wait so long that by the time we get to the her fighting him, we've forgotten about the five-point palm exploding
1: heart technique that he talks about. Yeah. You know, we just think it's one of those funny things. It seems so obvious when you rewatch it. Because he says he doesn't teach to anybody. Yeah. You, you would think, oh, of course she's going to But you, you forget yeah. that comment. Absolutely. The way she gets her ass kicked by his training, you forget totally yeah. that. Yeah, there's no that indication that minutes, he shows yeah. her.
0: And it was originally 10. They originally, in the original script, there was going to be 10-point palm exploding heart technique, and they thought, oh. that's going to be one hell of a fucking thing to try to show her do. you know, because the way she does it, she does it great at the end, but the hand speed, with which you've got to make it look realistic, you're hitting 10 points and making his heart explode, you know, you've got to be almost a kung fu master to have the almost Bruce Lee-like hand speed, to be, you know, to be able to, just, you know, without someone you know, even trying to stop your hands. I think they cut it down to five to make it a little bit more realistic as opposed right. to 10, but he's evil fucking. <laughs> Yoda. Yeah. At a thousand years old, he easily, easily defeats Bill, yeah. which is fun because. Here's the thing, though. As an audience member, when she goes up there and he goes, if you can land one blow, I will bow down and call you master. Yeah. And we still think, well, this is the bride. We're like, she's our hero. She's going gonna... right. to, we should have known. She just got shot in the tits with rock salt. So she's sometimes is defeated because of maybe a little cockiness sometimes. Maybe because, you know, you've yeah. killed 82 people. You think you can get this one bum in a trailer. So when we... she starts fighting him, and <laughs> and he get the sword, and he just steps out of the way of the sword and stands on it. You know, up here you can yeah. see a better foot in my foot. Kicks her in the face and yeah. the back flip off it it is such a great kung fu theater homage i was like it made me so joyous it was just everything i remember from my saturday morning watching it
1: but felt like it was better than anything i'd seen before well yeah it's kind of was it comical but again when he stands on the floor but uh, stands on the sword and says oh better look at my foot at this angle but it's all kind of a little comical and fantasy like but then when he grabs her arm and bends it backwards there's nothing funny about that the pain and the pain that she's in but the acting again by uma there where she's like saying you know no, like, you're useless. Uh, right now, you're powerless against me. And she's like, what was the Japanese or the Chinese word she was saying for yes? Ha. Yeah, ha. Ha. yeah, ha. Yeah. And then Bo for no? Uh, boo. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the way she was just like completely at his mercy. And he showed mercy. But when he says, like, because he says, I'm going to chop off your arm with his bare hand. He was going to yes. chop off her arm. And I believe that was not. Na- oh, yes. No, no. Yeah, that's what I mean. going to be able to. Yeah. Not only that. He wasn't. Too sure if he wasn't going to do, I think Beatrice convinced him there's something in her plea that stuck to Jaime. I think there's a part of them that would just as easily would have just disembered her right there. I think he appreciated her spunk to want to
0: take him on, but then also I think which maybe that, why when we get into why L lost her eye, I think he like he said, you know, he doesn't like American women, Caucasian, right. blonde, sass, the whole thing. I think he saw that, but she was also willing to like accept defeat. Some humility and could be trained as opposed to, yeah. you know, there are people out there who when they fail, they still they don't ever take responsibility for their failure or want to get better. And which is why he they saw something sure, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And you can see as as we go on through the scene, there's something in his eye when he sees her do certain things like he kind of is like, mm, OK, yeah, I think this is the one who's going to maybe be be the
1: one. And it doesn't it doesn't hurt that she's hot. Just like, uh, like yeah. uh, Bill said, hey, he's an old man. Just like oh, old, old man. He's lonely. Yeah,
0: well, if you were sitting in the theater and you didn't think he was going to be able to cut her arm off, 10 seconds later when he punches his hand from three inches away through solid wood, you know immediately, oh, he could easily take her arm. And then you also realize that he probably is the most dangerous, like we talked about, like you said. He may be yeah. the most dangerous character because a three-inch punch to go through, like that solid wood is a lot harder than a human body. He's punching through and taking your heart. I would have loved to just see a scene like that, but they didn't do it. I would have paid just a little extra for that to be in one of the scenes somehow. He's, You know, we do a flashback and he's punching through and pulling someone's heart out. <laughs> but if you had the ability, like would you train for two to three years to have that strength? Like, I, don't, I, I think I would give up two to three years of my life, be as close as I am to this desk and be able to, Punch through something that fast and that hard and just obliterate something. Like, that's unbelievable power. I don't know. That's true strength. I don't know. It is. Maybe, maybe it's just a sickness in me. No, no.
1: I mean, that's what he asked. Like, do, do you do you want this power? Is this something you... Like, he was going to show her how to do it. That's, that's really an interesting question. Like, you know, he's like, do you want this power? Is this something you, the, that you want? And she's like, yes, I want to be like that. So yeah, I think he's all for training you and being powerful, but you're not going to take him on in the... In, in the no. In the long run, even but if th- you learn it, yeah, yeah. Even if you learn his techniques, he's going to be able to defeat you. Well, it reminds me again of uh, Rocky and Apollo when Apollo tells Rocky, "Why I almost taught you everything." Well, I'm glad you brought up Rocky. Because I wanted to ask you. Sure. Since you're a huge Rocky fan, I love the
0: Rocky movies. My favorite Rocky movie is 4. Sure. It's just that it's 80s. Is it the best one? Probably not, but it's my well, favorite. I,
1: I know. I understand.
0: I love the training sequence from Rocky 4. I think it's my favorite training sequence it's of all of them. And Rocky yes. does an amazing training sequence montage. It's the king of the training montages. Yes, it is. Now, where would you put this training montage? Because I love this training montage. Mm-hmm. Does it have the same heroic build-up music that Rocky does? not no, but at the same time, it's very well done.
1: Yes, I lo- I love well, I love it. I-, I love it. I don't know where I rank it against the Rocky films per se, but definitely being maybe the top three. But I definitely, uh, well, I love it the way Uma looks, the way she's doing her little moves. They're doing moves together, silhouetted. Uh, the music score is very good. Yeah, it's a very very well done. She punches the wall
0: while she's sleeping and hurts her yeah. hand. Yeah, oh,
1: that's a great little moment too when she's like, yes, yeah, sleeping or resting, and she just out of like instinct punches the wall and the pain she goes through with her hand punch. On the wood, it stresses me out. Yes, yes, it stresses it does me out. Like she's actually cutting her yes, knuckles again. It really does. I'm going to say it a thousand times, Uma Thurman is acting like obviously she's not really breaking her knuckles in real life. She's acting. If that close-up is not her hand, then Miss Zoe Bell is hurting her hand on this wood. Oh, so much done. So I'm very impressed by yeah, it. Yeah, this the pain that she shows on her face, especially that uh, when she's wearing the hoodie over her head and she's in bed and hits the wall in her sleep. That's a great little moment. Yes, and I think this is the moment that
0: seals Pai Mae believing in her. Because yeah. right before this, you know, she's out there. Hi. That is the one moment that is, and it's not Uma's fault. I'm not making fun of Uma. It's just the way she talked. But when she is doing that, I want to say, hi, hi. The way she does the high punching it, just her voice, the sound of it, I always makes you laugh. I always think it sounds fucking ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to take her serious, but I know that's just how she is. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, sure. I don't know that I could punch it with a you know you know, I don't know that I would sound cooler, but just every time I hear it, it's like hi hi
1: it's just that's it, funny. It just never, does, you know
0: what I mean? If you I'll listen to, to it again, back. it just it's just funny. I don't I'm not trying to make fun of her, she probably whip my ass anyways, but it just always gets me a little bit like, Oh, the time takes me out of saying, Hi, hi. But yeah. That moment, you know, Paime does that great, you know, mustache flip and throw, which he always, I love that little grab the beard mustache, just kind of flips it, whether it's good or bad. And you can see he's impressed with her continuing. But it's when she goes maybe that night and she's trying to eat with the chopsticks and she can't, she throws it and she grabs the rice and he throws the rice on the floor and then gives her his rice bowl. That is the moment I think that decides him to teach her the five point floating palm because he's testing her. Are you going to eat like a dog? Are you willing to give up because it hurts and it's hard? Or are right. you willing to do it? And then she picks up and she's able to do it. And you can see in the space, because we cut from there to her being in the grave and making a way out. And she's like, all right, Pai May, here I come. What I love also is this whole sequence is about her learning to punch through wood from three inches away. We never know if she's able to do it, which is what I love. Right. And it's been a long time. So she's not able to easily do it inside the grave. So I love the fact that she's eventually able to. And obviously that wood is not as thick as that block of wood he's having her punch through. But a lot of movies would have, like even in a Rocky movie or even the Karate Kids, any of those movies where you do the training montage for one minute, you, you can't right. do the move for anything. And by the time we end the montage, you're a fucking master in a matter of weeks. You know what I mean? All of a sudden you've gone from you couldn't crane kick anybody to now you're, you know, backflip crane kicks and you're doing all kinds of crazy things. All of a sudden you're like, you're Bruce Lee. You know, right. so I love the fact that Tarantino doesn't cheapen it by suddenly making her, you know, she can punch through everything because it would have ruined the rest of the movie because if we learned that she could have easily punched through right. someone's chest. Why is she even fighting for Nita Green? Door opens, the music goes, and she's, you know, punching in and pulling her heart out, kind of, and holding it in her hand. That would have been cool, too. But it doesn't cheapen it. Like, he doesn't, no, he doesn't the, lose the reveal, focus.
1: The reveal is the escape from the from the grave, which is when she says, okay, Pime. I think she's something like that. No, now the train is going to be used. Here I come, Paime, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, she finally focuses and and forgets that she's trapped alive. Yeah. Do you think it's actually
0: possible to punch your way through a wooden coffin and then climb out of a six foot grave? No, but Pomai's a thousand years old, so we'll let that one slide too. Yeah, well. so he kind of taught her. But I do <laughs> I do love the little thing where we watch her like climb up almost like she's going up a ladder. Like there does seem to be a lot of roots, which is weird because right. they would have dug up the ground. And like, I'm not taking a shit on it. It's just fun. But like when you watch
1: It's a it's a weird sequence. It's, again yeah. it's one of the it, it's my favorite chapter and the whole music score and her coming out. Great
0: little homage to Evil Dead slash also uh, the Romero zombie movies right. with the hand coming through the dirt like a zombie. Like she's basically coming back to
1: life type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. She's risen from the grave and she. I love how she walks to that restaurant with that dust behind her, the dirt <laughs> falling off her. Like yeah. Big
0: Pen from Charlie Brown. Yeah. Just Can I have a glass of water, please. Like you said, the great physical acting that Tarantino's able to get his actors to do. I don't know the gentleman's name who does the little cameo as the coffee shop worker, right. but he's sitting there just stirring his coffee and drinking and then as Drinking, he looks up, looks out the window, and it's just that double take of like him yeah. pausing and kind of like, What the fuck is walking? Just such simple, subtle, yeah. but some, a lot of people can't emote physical emotion. You know, you can do it in your everyday life, but when you're doing it and make believe, it's hard to do. You know, you get yourself in the mindset of, Okay, I'm really actually seeing this woman walking at me, blah, blah, blah. And he just kind of looks up and he's got that, like, What the fuck is it? Why? You know, yeah, no,
1: no no, scene or, uh, or actor is wasted. Like it's no. you're in the Quentin film. Yes. You know, everyone brings their A game.
0: Agreed. Agreed 100%. But this is, like you said, this is one of my favorites. I love the whole montage. And it feels like it flies by. Like, every time we get to that scene, I go, this is going to take forever. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, shit, she's already punching her way out. Like, I yeah. almost feel cheated. I really wanted to see more Pai Mei. Like, I really wanted more Pai Mei in the film. And if he was ever going to do a movie, I actually would much rather see a Pai Mei prequel. I just want to see Pai Mei before, you know? Sure. Now, the only other person we know for sure who he's sent to train... Is right. we know for sure that L Driver goes.
1: Do you think he sent anyone else? Do you think Bud had the same training? Do you think he sent? No, there's no way uh, Bud would have survived under Pyme. It would have been too reckless. I think Bill do that. What about the other ladies? Do you think the other two no. ladies had it? Well, the, we weren't told they. I I, I think it was L. I think L is supposed to be more dangerous than we think. Well, we see that fight that's coming up. But yeah, I think I think it's just who we see in the film. I think that's all that got trained by Pyme. <laughs> I think. It was just I wonder a, why elect, that is. Elect, Well, a few by Bill. I think it was Bill selecting them for whatever reason. Bill threw his two girlfriends at Pyme. Yeah. Maybe Maybe he lied. Maybe Pai actually does like Caucasian blondes.
0: Maybe it was a lie. Oh, yeah. Maybe he wanted to put them on the back foot to be wary. And then the reality is Pai actually is really big on blonde white women from America where he lies. Man, he can't be. Come on. Is he really complaining about having those two in his house? Come on. You know, the, one little, the little slight that he throws at them. And I love it. And, and it's, look, he's a thousand-year-old. Sure. And so when he says, like, all Yankee women, all you do is spend your husband's money and order in restaurants. I was like, damn, that's that. a backhanded slap of people. Like, I was like, he just cuts right to the and doesn't even care. And you're kind of like, wow.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. It's like, what do you call it? Uh, A fan service. Like, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what they're like. Yeah, yeah. Hi, honey. I love you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was fun. That leads to chapter nine,
0: L and I. Now, a lot of this scene, I will cover the fight in the Bible study coming up next week. But yeah. we were still going to talk about it. But it leads up before that. L and I is more than just her fighting. It's also L showing up in that sweet fucking Pontiac Firebird. I really right. love. I had a Firebird, a T-top, a red one when I was in the military. But it was more of the ones late two thousand models. Early, I mean, early to mid two thousand models that looked more like the Batmobile. Okay. If you know what I'm talking about? As opposed yeah, yeah. to this nineteen seventies with the actual Firebird painted, the you know the gold fiber painted on the actual uh, hood of the car. He has picked great vehicles for his characters when he actually shows them, and they all fit perfectly. Like, I always feel like he gets the character and it's spirit animal, spirit vehicle, like almost to the T. You know, like Bud showing up in that piece of shit truck at his point in life, you're like, yep, that's Bud. The car that Bill shows up in, which is, uh, I forget the name of the car, but it's it's intentionally picked it's uh i think it translates to mongoose and a mongoose is someone who can kill snakes and here he is the snake charmer so it makes sense that he would drive a car or tarantino would give him a car that would you know basically symbolizes that he can kill every single one of these snakes if he has to cuz he's that much or at least in his mind he's that much better than them so i just love that firebird Ever owned a muscle car from uh, Detroit? Anything like that in your in your no. opportunities in life? yet?
1: No, I am not a uh, I'm not a car guy. Like I I always appreciate anything that's aesthetically that's pleasing to look at. Sure, but cars don't excite me if that makes sense. I, I don't get That's fair. A kick. I mean, yeah, you're Canadian. I, that's
0: fair. That's all right. You, you know Hey, hockey. come on. There's, there's Canadian, there's, <laughs> Canadians
1: like cars. No, I'm just I'm one sure. of the guys. I know. i just yeah. <laughs> I know. But uh, I just, I'm just not a car guy. I just don't uh, get excited by them, but I can appreciate any, any piece of machinery that's sleek and looks nice and what have you. But I personally don't look for cars or care anything about them.
0: Yeah. Now, they have a great, moment where we get Bud and L to talk. And I love, I should have mentioned, one of my favorite little moments is when he calls her after he subdued the bride. And she's like, Bill. He goes, wrong brother, you hateful bitch. Yeah, yeah. The way he acts
1: this whole movie is pretty it's pretty awesome, I know.
0: The way he acts towards her does lend a little bit of legitimacy of people thinking that the reason that they had the fallout between him and his brother is because he actually had a thing for Elle. Okay. And the way he then responds, like maybe it was unrequited, maybe she always wanted Bill and he wanted her and then she chose Bill anyways. So there's a little bit of that hurt jealousy, you know, kind of sure. like hurt that she didn't pick him and kind of like, you know, fuck this girl, fuck this bitch. Like, I can't stand her or whatever. But really inside, he really kind of wanted to be with her. You get that between their little, their little moments. But I love that when they're sitting there and he's making his little deck or, or his uh, frozen margaritas. And she sits down and he asks her the question, you know, which are, love the fact that they use that, which are you filled with? If you had a mortal enemy and they die but not at your hands, would you be filled with more relief? Or regret? I pose that question to you. Now, I'm not saying you have a mortal enemy. But if you can put yourself in a position where there was someone Mm. or something, you know, you're like, you know what? Or how about this? I don't know if you're a sports fan. Maybe we can also put it in. If you're a sports fan, you're. Right. I, I'm going to just assume you like hockey. I'm a huge yeah. hockey fan. If your team, I think your team was the. Are you the Canadian? Are yeah. you a Leafs fan? Canadians. No, All right, Canadians. Yeah. So you and so you hate the Bruins. As I hate every Boston team. So I'm yeah. assuming you still hate the Bruins. Yes. I know it's been a while since that rivalry's been anything.
1: No, but I yeah, I hate Toronto a little bit more. But yeah.
0: would you rather the Canadians knock out the Bruins or Leafs, or have someone else knock them out? You know what I mean? Like, would you right. rather be the team
1: that gets them? So would you be full of regret so, that it
0: wasn't the canadians that beat him or would you be like fuck it i'm glad we don't have to
1: face him in this round of the playoffs no i mean if it, if it can't be me then it can be somebody else that's fine um but it's interesting you pose that question because i was thinking bill when it comes to the killing of the bride doesn't seem to be too concerned who does it because remember in part one he sends al driver to poison her in the coma does change his mind he uh, yeah, did well, he change his mind to, but i don't yeah. think it's out of that he wants to do as one i don't think I don't know if it, did he, I think it's, I think it's a bit of
0: he wants, if she's going to, if she's able to wake up, I think there's a part of him that in some weird realm of his mind sure. thinks that if she wakes up and she finds out that their daughter's alive, that maybe things can be fixed. And he's not going to tell Elle that, you know what I mean? Like like I said, Elle's just filling a void, but I, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe mm. he's holding hope she might wake up. And there might be a chance to reconcile which I mean I mean when you're a sick sadistic fuck like that, I mean, of course you probably think that, that, you know, you have that kind of power. He's the snake charmer. That's his whole thing. You know, he thinks he's gonna be able to charm her back. That's fair.
1: That's fair. Yeah, okay. So I think at the end of the day, sure, Bill Bill would like to do it himself. Yeah. That's fair. I just don't know why he didn't just walk into the hospital and do it then. Like it's it's Well, I think
0: he thought he killed her when he shot her with the gun. Like he thought that was it. It's a
1: weird it's like how uh, For a guy that's who he is, it's odd that he wasn't able to kill the bride on the ground there. Like, that shot wasn't lethal. Well, you know what?
0: Maybe he softened a little bit because at this point, he's got his daughter. She's a baby at this point. So maybe there's a part of him who has softened the hair because she is the mother of their child. Again, if anyone has had a weak spot and a blind spot, it's built to her. And, you know... If this was L, he would have killed L instantly because I don't think he has the same for her that he does for the bride. So I think there's that, okay. she's his blind spot and maybe that's why he lets her to stay alive. Because he, he's probably holding out hope. It's like, you know, it's that, right. again, we've both been married for a long time. But, you know, when you're younger and maybe there's a girl you dated, maybe she broke up with you and you really sure. had a thing for your, there, you hold out that hope that she's may come back to you. She'll, she'll learn the errors of her ways. You know, how dare she leave me? You know what I mean? That Almost, he's holding out hope that maybe she will, you know, <laughs> say, hey, else, back you, know, to look, I, you know, I didn't mean to shoot you in the head. Maybe I overreacted. You know what sure. I mean? So, I think he holds out that little bit of Maybe a glimmer of hope. That's fair. But we get further information that Bud really has this thing against Elle. Because when they're talking about the whole thing about her and Buffaloing Bill, he goes, Bill sure did think she was smart. And then he does this backhanded slap at her again. She was just smart for a blonde. And because she's just, man, he just fucking just literally tells her to go fuck herself without telling her to go fuck herself with that little backhanded line. Sure. She's just smart for a blonde. Ugh. In my opinion, Elle is the most treacherous of all the divas, even more so than Bill. Bill, She's like I said, yes. has sentimental abilities, especially when it comes to, to the bride, to Beatrix. Elle, Elle will kill whoever, however, whenever, wherever mm-hmm. she needs to. So mm-hmm. if I had to list next dangers, I would put Elle up there high. I know you don't like her, the actor, the actress, yeah. but as far as you look at her ability, like her willingness to do whatever it takes sometimes.
1: Oh, yeah. she's No, she is deadly. She's She's surprised by me.
0: She's the next person I really wouldn't fuck with too much. Like, her and Hans Landa would be amazing (laughs) husband and wife. They are two just treacherous people. Like, he's intelligently evil, and she could be his just, when he decides that, nope, we're letting it loose, she's that caged animal that will come out and do whatever it takes to get the job done, so... Elle, as as much as you don't like her, or Hannah, but she is the most treacherous of of all the She is
1: treacherous. Of course, uh, I don't like how she dogged Bud. I don't like how she killed Bud. I thought it was... uh... A terrible way for Bud to go. Not of all the things, you know. Yes. I, I kind of had this weird soft spot for Bud, uh, despite him doing what he did and how he is. But uh, I mean, all these characters are like, yes, at the end of the day, no one, no one is good in this. Uh, fr- uh, fr- uh, not franchise, but these two films, they're all murderers and and hitmen. But as far as Bud goes, at uh, his death, like ah, oh, the bite in the face and this scene too, when she reads the stats of the <sighs> Black Mamba murder, it's yeah. stupid. It's actually you don't like it, oh. no. I, Oh, I, I don't. It's, it's I fine. It's, fine. it's like, Oh, I
0: enjoyed it. Okay. I just enjoyed the all gargantuan right. bit and the whole thing. I enjoy it because and I'll uh, explain to you why. And okay, I think sure. some of this might be because you just don't like Daryl Hannah. And that's perfectly that fine. Like, this it. is and perfectly I, I fine. Like
1: a, I wish her all the best. I mean, she's a celebrity and she's rich and all that good stuff. But that, at the end of the day, I found her delivery. I don't know what it is. It's, that's perfectly it's, fine. Like, it's it's fair. Everyone,
0: I'm not a person who's like, you have to agree with me all the time. Like, that's... No. It's, it's fandom. Like, it's, it's a movie. At the end of the day. Yeah. You know I mean? like, like, I'm going to, fuck Ryan Rebalkin. How dare he not see eye to eye? What I mean? like, would it be the first time? <laughs> but um I think some of it is, and why you probably don't like the way she killed him, it's how Bud dies and how May dies. They yeah. underestimated her. They, everyone sure. underestimates yeah. her. And when they do, it's at their own peril. Sure. Yeah. And like when I watched them for the first time, I did not expect anything to come out of that suitcase. Did you? No,
1: no, of course not. Yeah. I didn't expect anything. I thought that what we were going to get is. It's scary when it happens. You're like, oh, you jump.
0: Yeah, I thought when he was going through the money, and they were kind of, you know, because a lot of times in movies, when things seem to be calm, that's when all of a sudden something happens. So I was like, oh, shit, any moment, B, because we know B's up on the top of the hill. She watched Daryl Hannah's character, L Driver, pull up, so we know she's there. So I'm thinking, oh, at any minute, she's coming through the door, and then, surprise, she's got to take on two of them. Right. And then we get this great fight, and then you wonder if Bud and her are going to team up. You know, it would have been cool to see, so I don't expect it. But I think the reason it happened and the reason that Daryl Hannah goes into that whole big speech, or Elle Driver, I should say, not just the the actress, is because she is tired of being underestimated. And when you underestimate her, I think it's her way of going like, you little fucking redneck scrub, kind of like, like what she calls him. I am superior to you. The fact that you would belittle me or think less of me or think that I would ever spend any time with you and not your brother. I think it's her way of just like really rubbing it into him like. I got the best of you for whatever, you know, again, we have no backstory with them, but how dare you ever think I would want to be with you? And think like, all these little things are coming out in that moment that sure. is the more you watch the film and the more you, you know, take time and you, you know, like we do, we kind of overanalyze it. I right. really do feel she is giving it to Bud. Great lines of dialogue, but she's been underestimated. Pi May thought she was a piece of shit and she, she's right. a piece of shit, let's be honest, but she's very treacherous. And when you turn your back on that, it's like a snake. If you turn your back on that snake, it's going to fucking bite you. Don't turn your back on me. I am fucking deadly. And when you don't take me seriously, I will get you when you least expect it. And so kudos to her. That's why I think she's the most treacherous is, yes, it's a letdown that Bud gets killed by her. But it's also a statement that, because also in the scene we find out that she also killed Paime. Anyone who has not taken her seriously and has underestimated her, she's the death of them. So... I do like that as a nod. Of course, as fans, we want to see B do everything. But I do like that he sometimes says, oh, no, no, no. This is a Tarantino film. Not everything's going to go the way you want it to go. And I love that. I love that he doesn't always pay off fan service. You know what I mean? I love that it's not always the person you expect is always going to do it. Kind of like, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, and people didn't like it, but... When Arya is the one who kills the Night King. Right. Like, you don't see it coming. I think that's... I mean, I'm not saying they took that from a Tarantino, but that's a very Tarantino-esque like thing to surprise you with the person you think it's going to be. It's not. You know what I right. mean? I like that. Oh, shit. We thought this was going to happen. And he's like, nope. This is how it's going to happen. I like that. Because life doesn't go the way you always think it's going to go. So I appreciate that. It may be a letdown as a fan because you expect it, but I also really do admire the fact that he's like, I don't give a fuck what you think.
1: This is how I want it to go. Deal with it. No, it's fair. That's fair. Good arguments. It might just be the acting. I hate to harp on the acting so bad, but that's the only character I didn't connect with very well. That's probably fine because... A few seconds later, you get a chance to have some ass
0: whooping. You know? <laughs> Actually, before we get that, I want to ask you a yeah. question. This is a funny question. Sure. What do we think Bud blew all his fucking money on to end up in a shit hole trail in the middle of know. nowhere California? Like, I mean, because, you know, Bill's all about, you know, making vast sums of money to kill people. Like, Bud has fucking nothing. He has nothing. He's got a Hanzo sword. It's the most expensive thing in his house. Everything else, like, you can set that fucking thing on fire. Everything else to me is nothing. What did he blow his money on? Like, I'm always curious. Is like, what could he have blown his fucking cash on that he has nothing left? Woman, probably. Yeah, I guess. Because, I mean, even when he says, you know, I can get $250 to pawn the sword, like, you realize he's got nothing left. Like, it's just, it blows my mind that whatever happened between the time of Beatrix, them trying to kill her, and four to five years later... I mean, he is just, I mean, he's pissed it yeah. all the fuck away. So you finally get a chance for Daryl to get kicked in the face. We open the trailer. She gets kicked. Now, obviously, I'm going to go more intense through the fight. But sure. what I love about this fight scene, and I'll explain also because we'll talk about it in in the next um, Bible study. Right. But some of the reason the fight didn't go the way it was was intentional. Originally, it was designed for it to be a fight like Orem. Okay. Tarantino actually went to the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas, and saw Jackass the movie. And it was Jackass the movie that changed this scene to be more not so much comical, but over the top, like putting people through walls, like making it more of a instead of it being such a great, beautifully choreographed fight between two warriors, almost like you get into the fight and you've like lost your sensibilities. Like you want to hurt that person so bad. Like it becomes like almost a no-holds barred and he wanted it to be like, you know, you get hit with the lamp. Like almost everything you can do, like they did in their stunts to make it chaotic, to make it just okay. absolutely intense. So, which, you know, the swords are hard to get out in such a small f- space, which I think they use that beautifully. Okay, interesting. But the sound design in that fight sequence is one of his best sound designs yes. in all. The sound design is gorgeous. Just the snaps and the pops and the way the crisp sounds of what they do with the fighting. You know, when she fights Go-Go and she falls to the table and there's that bowling ball sound, that's cool, but a lot of this is... If you get it, you know if you go back and listen to it again, just that scene, the sound design is maybe his best of all his films. And I think there was no music during that, was there? I can't remember. Well, most of it is the sound of them fighting and, and all the you know different things he does. Maybe the only sound is yeah. like when she finally goes slow mo sidekick flying through the air.
1: It kind of does a little something. Right, right. I didn't listen for, but just looking back the last twenty four hours, I don't think there's any musical scores. Just a boop, boop, it's just a great take. I look forward yeah, it's to hearing your uh, your breakdown of this was, but it's a great fight. It's a great fight.
0: Yeah. I think it's one of the most brutal fights. You know, in some of the yeah. modern day of, of fight sequences, like I, I think back to Old Boy and the Hammer fight in the hallway. Like, You're right. it's just a very visceral. You know, these are two trained people who know Kung Fu from Pai Mei. And they how they use Kung Fu. They hate each other so much. It's almost like they just forget about what they can do and they just go at it. You know, like sometimes like, you see like boxers or MMA guys at the fucking weigh-ins which are so fucking stupid. And they want to fight each other there. And like they just start like brawling. Right. It's like they lose who they are or what their capabilities are. And they just like fucking go freestyle at it. And I, I really do appreciate that about that fight sequence.
1: And I want to say uh, before we move on to the next chapter, when Al Driver has her eye poked yes. out, it is a brutal probably the most brutal sequence in the film. Uh, I mean, she, it's her comeuppance for sure for her betrayal to the bride and to Pai Mei, somebody that the bride, uh, I think respected, maybe even loved to a degree. Yeah. And, it's just gross. And uh, then Daryl Highland, this is where I give her full yes. credit. Her freaking out <laughs> yeah. in the bathroom, smashing into the mirror, flying around, the garbage flying everywhere. Yeah. It's a hard to watch scene. It's almost comical. Yeah. She's like, yeah. come back here. Where are you? I'm going to kill you. You know, She's doing that like, I've
0: lost, but I'm still going to talk shit. Like, you just got beat. It's like you beat someone yeah. in a sport and like, I'll kick your ass. Like I just fucking
1: annihilated you. What are you telling you to kick my ass. Yeah. She reminds me of uh, Scrappy <laughs> yes. Dude. <if> <laughs> yeah. like He's being Scrappy held up. Doo. Yeah, put me down. Yeah. i get you. Yeah. 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 Let me add a <laughs> Let me splat him, but uh, but there you go, Daryl Hannah. There was it redeemed herself, but there she just killed it, being that screaming, panicked, angry, all the things at once. Boy, it was it was it's hard to watch, but that's just good acting. Yeah. So I do have
0: uh, just a few little quick questions for you before we sure. leave chapter nine and we hit to the last one. Were you pissed and or surprised that L was able to basically kill Pai May? Like, yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. Like I said, it's
1: like oh, but it's a great, yes, but it's it, a
0: great nod. It just adds to like Tarantino's way of like. All right, we want you to really want her to die. Which then leads me to the next question, because now we're all frothing at the mouth. like, oh, I cannot wait for Beatrix to kill this bitch. I hope she fucking guts her. Right. Then we get the eye snatch. Did you like the fact that they left Elle for dead? So, again, we get into it like we talk about what do we think happened. But, in essence, she's taking her eye. She can't see. She's trapped in a trailer with a black mama snake. She's in the middle yeah. of the desert. And most likely because she has no vehicle, Beatrix takes her Firebird and gets out of there. She's, in all essence, left for dead. Yeah. Did you like that part?
1: I don't think she was actually left for dead because I think her eye was taken out. But I don't think she was anywhere near death. I think she's just banged up, beat up, and blind. I think that's the torture.
0: No, agree. But she's in the middle of the desert. She right. has she's no vehicle. Gonna... She has no she food. Can't she see. can't see. And there is a Black Mama snake in Maybe the trailer yeah. still with her, you know, and she can't see it. So, in all
1: essence, we left her. She's in a tight spot. Oh, big time. Uh, I would say, no, I did like it. It's, a, it's either a slow death or, or a torturous life. Did you notice when uh, Beatrix walks out, the, the snake was still there? It just hisses up. Yes, it backs it away from her. It powers yeah, from it, her. He, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. it.
0: It's, I mean, great. It's yeah. a Black Mamba. She's a Black Mamba. You right. know what I mean? So, yeah. It's, yeah, there's that respect kind of level for it. Now, which of the five fight scenes in the two volumes? Is your favorite we've got the bride versus Vernita mm-hmm. the bride versus Gogo, Bride versus the Crazy 88, Bride versus Oren, and then Beatrix versus L.
1: Which is your favorite? I would say the well the the eighty eight. That's just a fun sequence. Uh it's so brutal. You get the sword play that I'm talking about. So we do get in Volume 1. We get her just being that samurai killer machine yeah, and taking yeah. on all this people. She's, you know, she's doing her Pai Mei moment, killing all the monks in that bar, so to speak. She's Pai Mei in that moment. I'm going to lean in and
0: agree with you. I do enjoy that. That whole House of Blue Leaves is such a great scene. And it's it's great because it sets up, you know, we think that, oh, man, this happened in the first half. Volume 2 has got to be just and really westernized. It really pulls back on it, really doesn't give us what we think we're going to get, which is, again, I love the misdirection. I right. just absolutely love it. Chapter 10, Face to Face. We start off with another great side character, Mr. Esteban Viejo. Right, Michael Parks. Uh, Mr. Parks. He's so good. He wasn't supposed to be it. The person who was hired was Cardo Montalban was original to be it. He couldn't make the table read. So at the table read, Mr. Parks read as he did. They awesome. liked it so much. They actually paid Ricardo Montan because he'd been hired, paid him for a role he never did. Wow. And Mr. Parks fills in as Esteban Viejo. Really, all the side characters that Tarantino has in his movies—they are—they're not moment. wasted. Oh, no. so great! So, yeah, the act is amazing.
1: That whole la la. la. <laughs> yeah, the way he speaks is just. Yeah, I love it. I love it creepy. He's like the creepy dad. He's a real gentleman. He's like, I wouldn't have shot you. I just would have cut your face. And
0: that was a tough scene when he calls her over and she's got the... You're like, oh. And she's like drooling. Oh. But he's a man of leisure, she says. He's a pimp. He's running a brothel in Acuna, Mexico. Why would you cut the face of your product? Like, who's going to want to... Reminds me of that cutting scene in uh, The Unforgiven. Yeah. But it's just like, why would you cut her face? Message to the other girls. I think you can get just as much done taking the pinky finger off. And again, I'm not... Again, I'm not suggesting oh, violence within towards the, women. In, talking with the, the movie. Yeah. I, yes. This man's a pimp. He runs a brothel. He's a right. violent man. I'm just saying. I'm not saying he should be doing any of these things. But if I'm him right. and I'm running a brothel and for some reason I feel the need that I have to keep one of my ladies in line,
1: I'm not going to damage the product that's going to sell what I'm trying to sell. You see... I but we talked about this already. You're you're thinking like a normal person, the same way. Why do not we? Why did they just kill the bride when they had the chance? Why is he, you know, messing up his product? Because Agreed. they're sadistic yeah. people. They're sadistic people. You are not sadistic. That's the answer. And you're not a creep. You're not. I f- did say I would take a finger, but I'm I'm still
0: getting my point across. But I'm not damaging the goods I'm trying to sell. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, he's yeah. girls are dime a dozen. They're, that's what
0: it is. <laughs> well, yeah, pro- probably for him down down yeah. in Acuna, Mexico. Yeah, for whatever yeah. he does. Yeah. But did you know this was the actual last scene of the film that was shot? Mm, I didn't know that. And they shot it in a real Mexican brothel. And those extras, except for the woman who got her face cut, were actual sex workers from said brothel. So... Interesting. I wonder if they got paid
1: for. I, mean, it must I have, it would must... assume.
0: I w- again, I didn't. There wasn't any more information. So whatever happened in Acuna, Mexico, apparently yeah. stayed in Acuna, Mexico. So it's, it's essential, just, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. And the story that Mister Esteban talks about with Billy, you know when he goes to see was it Joan Crawfield or Joan Collins, whatever, and he's like sucking his thumb because of the blondes, That actually is a story that Kurt Russell told Tarantino. Oh, he went to a drive-in and he saw a movie and. When one of the actresses came on stage when he was younger, he sucked his thumb, whatever sexual connotation it was. But yeah, so it's cool that he took that Kurt Russell story and put it into the movie and gave a little nice. bit of uh, character development for our man Bill. Nice. Like it. Now, as I said at the beginning, we get to the Hacienda. In the original script that I had the opportunity to read uh, before I went to the war, so I got to read it. I mentioned, I think, on one of the Bible studies, but the original script, there was no ending of volume one where it said, Does she know that her daughter's still alive? Mm-hmm. When you read the script, you didn't know until she's coming into the Hacienda, and there she is when she makes the corner. Right. It's the one thing that really hurts this story. It's the only thing because it's a very important moment in this film. Because as the viewer, up until this point, if this is one one solid film is like the whole bloody affair, and you never saw this broken up. You are going through the movie with her. We are getting revenge for the attempted murder of her, and now the death of her daughter, the murder of her daughter. Right. And so we finally were like, fuck Bill, we're gonna get him, we're gonna get this son of a bitch. And when she makes the corner, and there she is. All of us are surprised at the same time, her and us. So we're like, it's a new twist. It's the twist from Usual Suspects. It's the twist from, you know, The the Sixth Sense. You know, so these twists are like, oh, shit, we did not see that coming. Or we probably should have seen it coming, but we didn't see it coming. I mean, obviously, we remember it once we get the corner. You know, we go, oh, that's right. He did say, does she know her daughter's alive? But it doesn't have the impact that it would have as one whole film. And that's the only disappointment for me. And again, I know why he did it. I know why he had to do it. It makes sense. But it just takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails because what a great moment it is. Us thinking, you know, she or she is now what? And like Bill did this intentionally. He sprung it on her. He knew she was coming. He knew that he was the last one. And he's like, all right, how do you feel now that you know her daughter's alive? I mean, that's mathiacal. He's just this fucking sinister son of a bitch. So it does take away when you already know that she's still alive when that moment happens.
1: Yeah. But we get to see, at least we see Beatrice or Kiddo's reaction. That's genuine. So her reaction is what I'm watching. And that's what I mean by Uma's acting there when she sees her daughter. It's that same way when she discovered that she was no longer pregnant when the baby was gone, and she screams in the hospital. Uh, and then she sees now her daughter in front of her and, hey, mommy, you know, bang, 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 or whatever. I killed mommy. And that whole, that whole chain of events, just that acting on Uma's part of she's trying not to cry with both joy and anger at Bill. Everything's combined in her face. Yeah, it's like, she, emotions she, are flooding through her. Right, right, because she wants to kill Bill really badly now to get this daughter away from this guy.
0: Well, also that the fact that she... It's almost worse that the daughter isn't dead for the fact that now she's realizing she's missed four to five years of her life because she's been in a coma because of yeah. this asshole shooting. Like, you know, it's like it would have almost been yeah. better that she had been dead because at least the, she wouldn't have missed out Now she feels like she's missed out. You know, yeah. like, how, what does her daughter think of her? What, what's the story Bill's told? So many emotions are flooding through her that, you know, it's actually probably worse that she isn't dead. Now mm-hmm. that she you knows she's alive, she's like, she wouldn't have even gone through all these all this fucking work. She would have just gone right to Bill. She wouldn't even worry about these other fucking people because now it's her daughter. So there's a real conflict. And Bill did, did this intentionally. He's, he's maniacal. He's, he's yeah. no dummy. He definitely knew what the no. fuck he was doing. This does lead us to the great dialogue scenes. Yeah. We get two great ones from Bill. Emilio, their daughter learning about death, and Emilio the goldfish. While he's using, hey, mm-hmm. it's intentional. It's to get us to feel a little uneasy about Bill, while he's just being so charming. But he is making a sandwich with a fucking butcher's knife, and no one needs to spread. Whatever, I think it was mustard. With he a, makes butcher's a great knife. sandwich, does, but like that's a giant fucking butcher's knife. You always just feel uneasy when he's on screen yeah. because of just who he is and what he does. You know, he's being so charming, and the way he's just flicking the knife and talking. You know, you're just like. This motherfucker is
1: just there's oh, yeah. something wrong with him. It's a great sequence with the uh, sandwich making. I don't know. It always makes me hungry when I watch him make that sandwich.
0: It's a poignant little story about his daughter learning about death, which again is great because she learns about death because she's going to learn about it soon again before this night's over. She's going to. We'll get into that in a second, but I'm I'm curious as what story she must have told her after this. But then you know we get the great point. She goes up there, watches right. Shogun Assassin with her daughter and all this fun stuff, and then comes downstairs. And then we have our mono mono talk. And you know he hits her with the truth. There, one of my favorite. Monologues in all of Tarantino land because I'm a yep, huge Superman too. fan. Anyways, it's his Superman speech about how Superman's always Superman. He doesn't have an alter ego. He has to fake who he is. Everyone else is Bruce Wayne or their Peter Parker, and then they become their character. He was born Superman. He wasn't yeah. turned into this, and he has to pretend it's to great, be somebody great else.
1: Moment. That's my uh, so spoiler alert. That is my favorite line or monologue from the film. Yeah, I love what he's. I love what he said. I wrote it down or I cut and pasted here. He says now a staple of the superhero mythology is that there's the superhero and there's the alter ego batman is actually bruce wayne spider-man is actually peter parker when the character wakes up in the morning he's peter parker he has to put on a costume to become spider-man and it is in that characteristic superman stands alone superman didn't become superman superman was born superman when superman wakes up in the morning he's superman his alter ego is clark kent his outfit with the big red s that's the blanket he's wrapped in as a baby when the kent's found him those were his clothes but Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. Sort of like Beatrix Kiddo and Mrs. Tommy Plumpton. I love it. It's so good. Look, Tarantino, just the guy
0: can fucking write dialogue. The guy can fucking write and just poignant,
1: good dialogue. And did you catch the uh, the nod to one of his earlier films that he wrote?
0: Which, which, one, which one are we talking about?
1: Are you calling me a superhero? And Bill goes, I'm calling you a killer, a natural-born killer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yeah. That's what uh, Mickey Knox says. He's a natural-born killer yeah. when he's in that little so, interview. Great stuff. Now,
0: when I talked about the Reservoir Dogs episode is Mr. White, when he's trying to calm Mr. Pink, he says, worst place that you can get shot is in the gut, but it takes a long time to die. Bill kind of contradicts this by telling her the worst place you can get shot is in the knee. So even in Tarantino land, we've got uh, difference in painting. Where's the worst place to get shot? Would you rather be shot in the kneecap or the gut? Where would you if you ha- if you know if you're gonna be shot? Those are the two places. If a sadistic son of a bitch is
1: like you're gonna get shot, Bud's like, look, you're getting shot. Do you want it to be in the kneecap? You want it to be in the gut? Which one? Well, I'd probably take the kneecap. Maybe I might have a chance to survive. I don't know if I can survive a stomach wound. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right. So if any, no, <laughs> Ryan yeah, wants to get shot him. in the
0: kneecap. Just shoot him in the kneecap. Yeah, come, come on. Shoot, shoot him, him in the, the kneecap, kneecap. That's it. That's all he wants. Now. I'm of two minds of this (laughs) Mm -hmm. is the final fight. Again, another nod. It's like when we don't punch through anyone's chest and we've had this sword, God, she flies over, gets it made. We think, oh, she's going to use it to kill Bill. So there's a part of me that really likes the fact that they don't fight swords. They were supposed to. They were supposed to fight. I don't know if it was because the production was running too long or they just felt like this was a little bit Mm -hmm. quicker and it kind of like almost a more poignant like wrap up. But do you wish that they had fought to the death with Hanzo swords or are you happy with that she uses. Pai patent patented technique that we forget she probably had learned to finish Bill. To almost be, once again, this whole storyline is basically females being underestimated by most of males in society. And then them showing that that was
1: to their own detriment. I think I'm like you. I think we would all like to have seen that. But we got the 88 scene. We got the L driver scene. We've got we got all the scenes anyways. It's almost like you, ha- you had to make a decision. Either it's going to be this balls-out crazy sword fight, like a Luke versus Vader type sequence. Or... It's going to be subtle and and more personal. And so I think they went with the right direction, even though there's a fandom enough that wants to see that ultimate showdown. Because I think that's what it was with Bill. I think ultimately, this was Bill's movie as well. There's so much carried in, in this film. We never saw him really do anything. And so I think that's the bit of the letdown is we never saw Bill in action. We saw him use words, yes. but never any physical action. He does
0: get a scene with Michael Jai White in the uh, special edition. Yeah, that's
1: a deleted scene I I now, I it that. and that's it's right.
0: a great scene where we actually get to see yeah. how good he actually is with the sword and good he is with kung right. fu. But for whatever reason, it was cut. It was going to probably fall in right before it would have been the scene that led up to then them talking that night with the. With the whole okay. you know, that it was that flashback scene where she's he's taking her to meet Pai Mei to, to train her. So I think that's where kind of we got cut. But okay. if
1: anyone wants to see Bill in action, volume yeah, two is it's the there. extra scene. It, it is there. Yes, yeah, right. I forgot about that. I have seen that, but it's been a few years. Um that being said, yeah, I, I get it. That's the initial viewing reaction, like, oh, nothing happened. But the five point, what is it called again? Boy, I always forget it. The the five point palm exploding heart technique. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. I, I, I never remember the word order. Anyways, it's great to see that happen. It, and the only way that could have happened is maybe just like they did across the table from each other. I don't know if she would have been able to do that after a big sword fight. So it had to be kind of... It just has to be that quick right there. He didn't see it coming.
0: If you... Were able to learn the five-point palm exploiting heart technique. Would you use it, and if so, how often? Oh
1: boy! Well, never. I hope. <laughs> That's scary. Ah, oh boy. I I don't know if I w- would want that kind of power. I mean, literally lethal weapons as your hands. It's crazy. Yes. That's a scary. Th- it's a scary power to have. I, I don't know if I'd like to have that, to be honest with you.
0: My question is, how do you know that you've got it right? You know,
1: it's, it's one of those things where, like, if you do it right, a
0: guy takes, what, five steps and they die? Like, how do you know that you've actually properly done it properly? Like, yeah, you know, like, how, know. What, what's the teaching technique? I always wonder how he taught. He must have just been like, you do this, you do that. So... You wonder if if she learned it? Did she? Hope for the best, I guess. You can't really practice on people. She must
1: have had to use it on somebody to see if they, she got it right. Like maybe use it on a cow or a pig or something. I don't think Bill's the first one she killed. No, she's no, she's done it before. You're right. So before we leave this
0: part, when we get your final questions, did you know that every villain killed on screen, except the ones in the anime sequences in all of Kill Bill, are killed by a female? character wow. now that would have changed had there been the bill scene inserted okay he kills michael jai white's character and so that would have been different right. but in the actual film from start sure. to finish from volume one through volume two all actual live action deaths are committed by the females they kill the villains in the film nice let's ask our guest some fucking questions. What was your favorite song on volume two soundtrack?
1: I can't pronounce this because it's Spanish and my pronunciation is terrible. There's two. I cheated. There's two. Okay. La Rina, That's the sequence where she's punching out of the coffin. Yep. She's that musical swell. I love that. I believe it's by, uh, I can't pronounce his name. Is it Morricone? Thank you. And then, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Malaguana. Celerosa. Yes, the end, the end song. Yeah, I love it. You know who plays guitar yes, on that song? Yes, I do. It's yeah, a, okay. The band
0: is Chingon, and it's a Robert yeah. Rodriguez. And again, he yeah. did that for a dollar, because Tarantino would then do for a dollar, he directed that one scene in Sin
1: City. Right. I love that. I love it. I just watched a live performance of it on YouTube last night, not even knowing it was a band band and that Robert Rodriguez was playing guitar. They did one album. Uh, But what a great, I love that song. I just, I freaking love that song. I'm with you. I'm with you. like, it's a legit good rocker Oh, great. Who is your favorite character from volume two? Of course, I love Kiddo. So it goes without saying, but it's like, well, it's not fair to keep saying her. So I, I, I have a second pick. Like, okay. To me, Uma, I just, every time she's on screen, I just, I'm sorry, I'm in love with her. I'm just absolutely enamored by Uma's performance through her physicality, her looks, her badass, every outfit she's wearing. She just looks amazing in these films, especially in part two. I just, her hair is so cool. But I think. Part two in particular, obviously, is the Bill show. Carradine's acting, every scene he's in, the way he does the flute playing, the dialogue, the way he makes a much everything under the uh, tutelage, the cruel tutelage <laughs> of Quentin Tarantino. Carradine, well, this is a lifetime performance. So the, I call part two like the Bill show. It's amazing. I can't debate you on that one.
0: Now, I think, I have, yeah. I think we've kind of covered a couple, these last two, but what was yeah. your favorite
1: line and or monologue from volume two? Yeah, so from volume two, it was definitely the the Superman. It always stuck out to me. I know it's a favorite amongst a lot of fans. And it's also been debated. Well, no, Superman doesn't think we're Kairos. It's not what he's saying. He's just saying that we are the weaker race for him to blend in. Superman can't be Superman. But I I, I love that analogy. I I never looked at it that way. So, QT is like able to say it in the ways that you're like, oh man, I never thought of that. What a great reverse. And I never, in all the years I've been a Superman fan, I never thought the costume was him just looking like a human. So that was a great backwards. Uh, I like that. And finally, what was your favorite scene from volume two? Yeah, The Cruel to Elijah Pai Mei. That whole sequence, I just, I could watch it over and over again because it starts with the uh, the myth of Pai Mei about killing the, the monks and then ending with her coming out of the coffin. It's just such a great boy. It's like a movie in itself.
0: And that's a wrap on Volume 2 of our 7th episode. I would once again like to thank my special guest, Ryan Revelkin host of the Rocky Series Podcast, The Worst of the Best Podcast, and It's a Long Road, the Rambo Series Podcast, for joining me again today. I had a fucking blast discussing our love of QT and his love of Daryl Hannah's acting, as well as concluding our blood-soaked look at Tarantino's Kung Fu Samurai Spaghetti Western Mashup Masterpiece Kill Bill, Volume 2. Now you can find the link to Ryan's podcast and his podcast socials in the show notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials. Those links can be found in the show notes as well. Now be sure to join me again next week as friend of the podcast Steve Smith, host of the Way Past School Podcast returns for his final appearance and second Bible study of this month as we close things out by dissecting and discussing the Beatrix Kiddo vs. El Driver fight scene from Kill Bill, Volume 2. So until next time, I'm the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always. This has been A Man With An Exceptional Beard Production